0: Hello, welcome to For the Love of Sports today. I have my good friend, compadre Jared Abbott here with me to talk about the AFC East. Uh, it's going to be a weird one, this one. So I'm, I'm excited to, to have you. Jared lives up, I don't know, where are you living now? New Hampshire, I think, right?
1: Up in New Hampshire, yep. We're in the yep. middle of uh, Patriots country up here now.
0: Live free or die, baby. Let's go. Hey, um, what a motto. It's the best. It's hands down the best. <laughs> like, I can't think of any other license plate that's just like, yeah, I know exactly where that is. Let's go. Um, so, yeah, excited to chat about this with you. Yeah. You live up there. Obviously, you're from New Jersey where we are, so it's not yeah. too far from the Jets as well. But you're up there in Bills and, uh, and Patriots country. So excited to talk about this. I mean, we've been doing these. I think this is five days in a row now. We've done one. So really excited. Going to do another one tomorrow, probably another one Sunday and then Monday round out all the divisions, So it's, it's been a blast. And I mean, just jumping right into it. The AFC East has pretty much just been the Patriots for the last 20 years, I think, Mm -hmm. give or take. Um, but now Tom Brady's gone yeah, and now Bill Belichick's doing some weird stuff, especially with the draft. So I'm excited to talk about that. Excited to see if the bills will ever just ever be good. I don't, I don't know. They made the playoffs last year, but it was weird. The dolphins, they now at least have Tua, So that's kind of cool. Um, and the jets are going to jets and that's why we're keeping them last, but yeah, man, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. How's your night so far?
1: It's going well. I appreciate you having me on. It's fun to talk football, you know, in a a time where it's uh, hard to come by sports information. I think it was a great time for us to have the draft. I think it was good for all of us. And, you know, it really allows us to look back on a lot of the offseason moves. And a lot of things have happened in in a sports world that, you know, it's fun to talk about because hopefully we'll be able to actually see some live action. But uh, a lot going on kind of behind the scenes.
0: I'm crossing my fingers, man. The draft was great. We watched it together. I think I was with you guys Friday night, which was a blast Mm -hmm. and just getting to talk about second and third round. It's, it's, it's always one of my favorite times of year, but this year is especially with, I mean, normally it's going up against hockey playoffs and NBA playoffs. And this year, obviously there's none of that. So it's kind of a drag, but at least we had that. So three straight days. I don't know, man, honestly, I think I might've only missed about an hour of the draft total. I watched every other second, except one hour where I had to go to the grocery store. So I mean, I don't know how much I assume you watched the entire yeah. thing as well.
1: Yeah, the, I think it was, you know, the same situation for me. The only break I had was I, I had to run to Petco to uh, pick up some some dog food. That was um, probably um, beginning of the fifth round, came back and picked okay. up the rest of it. And, you know, you I go. just I kind of caught up on what I missed and it was um, I, I finished the fourth and then decided, you know what? All right, let's uh, make a, a quick break and then come back and see what's going on here and um and that way I'm I'm here for the the end of the draft so I love yeah it. it was exciting i mean I, I couldn't get away from it you know it's uh hey it doesn't get any better course. man
0: so draft. exactly when there's nothing else on we have to get into it and your dog is pretty fantastic so she deserved that food uh, especially at a time like the draft i mean of, of all the times you could have possibly went to the store i think it's funny you pick the only time something lives on but hey your dog needs her food you're gonna <laughs> get her, her food and i respect the hell out of that about you jared so let's um let's jump into it i mean obviously the team we're gonna start with is the patriots um yeah. they did a lot this off season in terms of of gaining retaining and losing players and so in terms of players gained uh, they signed adrian phillips i thought that was pretty cool cody davis brian Horror, a couple one-year deals um that's something other than that i mean i don't know of, of the players they gained outside of adrian phillips who i don't even know how old that dude is anymore i think he's been in the league the entire time i've been watching uh, who are you looking at in terms of the players that they brought in through free agency
1: uh, i think what's interesting is they add a guy like a, a Bo allen who's kind of bounced around the league he he's Kind of a one of those classic Patriot type of guys. It'll come there. He's going to be in the rotation. I think you might hear his name a couple of times coming up during certain spots in the in the you know in games during the season. Be a rotational guy, though. He's not a standout player, but that's what the Patriots are. I, I think honestly, I I look at where they're at from uh, you know, and of course I know we're going to break into Tom Brady, but I think when you look at players gained, the biggest thing to look at is Brian Hoyer one-year deal, and then also. Maybe who they haven't gained yet, but there's still time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest question because you look at some of the additions. You know, Dan Vitale, I think, is an interesting addition at fullback. And that's, I think, the might be the only team in the league we're going to talk about a fullback addition in the offseason. Love it. Love but, it. Quite frankly, like, I mean, you have a guy like, you know, you just, you see, what happened with Devlin, who mm-hmm. guy from you know, Brown is, you know, not even in the league, like is playing in, you know, like a semi-pro situation to start his career, works his way to the Patriots, becomes, I think, a three-time Super Bowl champion with them. And he's actually he played a vital role. And and that's just the thing about that team. It doesn't matter about who you are, where you came from, what you've accomplished. They the the Patriot way is a real thing. I mean, mm-hmm. they like I know that it's kind of symbolic in terms of how successful they've been the last 20 years. But honestly, you don't need big names to go in. You just need guys to buy into the system. And that's why I mentioned guys like a Bo Allen or a mm-hmm. Dan Vitale. Because you look at those guys, they buy into the system. And somehow they find a way to produce better there than they had in other locations.
0: It, you see it all the time. And it's always... you. You notice it less when they actually sign guys. And I think you notice it more when you see the people that leave. And we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, Like a guy like Kyle Van Noy. He's good. He was on the Patriots. He does really well. I think he leaves the Patriots, signs this pretty big deal with the Lions, is terrible, goes back to the Patriots, is great. And then leaves and signs a mega deal essentially with the Dolphins now. So I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where Bill Belichick is smarter than all of us, whether we like it or not, and whether we hate him or not, he's just smarter. And hopefully being up there, you haven't become a fan at all. I want to make sure of that. But it's just always interesting to me to see who they bring in because most of these one and two year deals, but I am confident a couple of these guys are then going to sign some pretty big money deals. After it's all over. And then Bill Belichick's going to say, All right, I'll just find more guys off the street. I also love how he always, I don't think anybody in this list, but I'll be totally honest, I'm not 100% sure. It always feels like the Browns that have terrible, terrible first and second round picks. He'll <laughs> pick them up for a one or two year deal at like zero money. They'll do exactly what he needs them to do. They'll leave, get paid, and suck somewhere else. It's just, it's frustrating, but I respect the hell out of it.
1: It, you're very, very right in that regard too. Of like where guys are picked, what they mm-hmm. get paid from other teams, they come to New England on a, a discounted rate. They get a lot of value out of that, and then they move on because they produce. They sign somewhere else, and another team has a handful to deal with. And it's it just this like vicious cycle mm-hmm. that teams have had to deal with for the last twenty years. I mean, the AFC East we know has been probably one of the worst divisions in football, Hands aside down. from the the Patriots, of course. But it gives them. Six wins a year normally, mm-hmm. right? I
0: mean, well, well five. They, Miami always figures out a way to win one, uh, but other than that, right. yeah, five. That's true.
1: Some ran- and it's always in Miami. Random humid day, something weird's going yep. on. Trick plays, you know, and Drake, whatever, you know. It's, Gotta love and it. And it always won. But I said, I mean, you look at, I mean, the Patriots literally won the last decade. I mean, That's swept true. the decade, which is astonishing. And then it, you just you look at what they do. And no off is ever, you know, uh, newsworthy in New mm-hmm. England. And it's just these guys that you know. I, I think that rather than the guys gained, I think you look at like the guys that kept. Like you know, mm-hmm. Devin McCordy, I mean, is honestly one of the linchpins of that defense. I mean, he's a, a phenomenal player. And then Matt Slater, probably the best special teamer in the game. And mm-hmm. it's like an underrated re-signing pick. But you know, when when you retain a guy like that, but quite frankly, you you keep a guy like that. I mean, he's a leader in the locker room. He's a captain on special teams. And that's just what this team builds themselves upon. Mm -hmm. And that's why guys that aren't maybe big names elsewhere, or maybe guys that are kind of bust elsewhere, come to new England and they produce. And it's it's because of that leadership.
0: It's, it's frustrating as hell to watch. But again, I mean, looking back on it, we're going to say, how did this happen? Like where, how, how does a one team win for 20 straight years? Like, that's insane. They've had two separate dynasties within this entire run, which if you think about that in itself is just insane. Thankfully, I mean, the the one time the Eagles do push through, it's against the Patriots, thank God. Two times the Giants were able to do it. So us sitting here, we can say, we had a hand in beating Tom Brady three times. At least that's the way I like to think about it. Um, and, you know, you bring up the players retained. I think one interesting one, Joe Thuney, or Tooney, Mm -hmm. however the heck you say his name. He's on the franchise tag, and his name came up a lot in potential trade discussion leading up to the draft. Clearly nothing ever came of it, so I don't know Mm -hmm. if he plays out the franchise tag, if Bill Belichick figures out a way to sign him. Uh, Do you have any insight up there in Patriot country for us?
1: You know, I I think just the talk right now is is planning on having him as a piece of the team. Mm -hmm. I think that if there was going to be something that would have been done, it would have already been done. I think that's one of the things you also notice about the Patriots is that they don't. They, they don't wait until last minute. You want know, to talk about deadlines. They're they're not a deadline type of team. They, mm-hmm. If they have an objective, they're going to accomplish it. Now, with a franchise tag, it, there's always, you know, just stickier points to mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't see him going anywhere. So at, at this point, I think that probably signs the tag, plays it out, see what happens after that. I think that it's it's interesting because with the tag – you know, he's a huge piece in that offense, mm-hmm. even though he's, he's a guard, he's a huge piece of that offense. And this is a team that is in transition, but yet is always competing, which mm-hmm. is, it's a, it's a reload, not a rebuild. Yeah. So you don't know what to expect. He may even ex- sign, sign an extension and a deal after there hasn't been any talk about that up here in terms of news uh, mm-hmm. with him, but there's also no talk about him leaving. So I, mm-hmm. I assume that as of right now plays it out with the tag. They either work something out or he moves on at the end of the year. I mean, this is a team that's mm-hmm. not afraid to move on from guys like that too, that are great players that will sign big contracts elsewhere. But, um, you know, that, that's just a situation with them. And I think it's interesting just the direction they're going in. Mm-hmm. Somehow they find a way to win games. So that's why like guys like him will play it out because it's mm-hmm. a good spot to be in.
0: He, he will figure it out. I mean, I feel bad for him cause he would have got a payday, right? He's, yep. he's just one of those guys that would have yep. left gotten a pretty big payday. And unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately he's making what $14 million this year, I think. So I, I guess there's worse situations to be in, but Hey, I'm sure he would have rather, you know, that $60 million contract that Nate Soldier signed to be terrible for the giants. Um, in terms of player, <laughs> feeding, I mean, there was an exodus to say the least. I mean, Tom Brady's at the top of the list. We'll obviously talk about that. But Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, I guess Philip Dorsett matters. Steven G- Gostowski left. Um, Deron Harmon, Danny Shelton again, that's a Browns guy. If I'm not mistaken, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's just they always have these maybe not this big of an exodus, obviously, this year with two really, really key and Gostowski, if you want to consider him, you know, a three really, really key players without have been with a team for a very long time. But I mean, I guess we should probably start with the most important piece in Eldon Roberts, right? Like that guy leaving is just gonna now. Tom Brady, obviously, going okay. is just <laughs> insane. I mean, what is what was that like, especially being up there? And I mean, I didn't believe it until it actually happened. I thought there was literally zero point zero percent chance it was gonna happen. What was it like actually being there? And what did they feel and Patriots fans feel like, especially up there?
1: I, there was an initial sense of shock uh no one believed it the first reports came out i know when i first saw them i said uh, you know need to fact check that yeah exactly <laughs> you yeah. know like, double I, check I don't know, that one. like let's let's be serious here really uh but it was true and uh it's interesting because the reaction of the the base up here was was very positive they knew that this had been kind of an ongoing thing last couple of years um And that, you know, at some point he'd move on, you know, and, and I think there is, um, you know, there's that, that thought in the back of your mind, like we wish he would retire as a Mm -hmm. Patriot. Right. And the fact that he didn't, you know, it's, that definitely hurts some people, you know, but at the end of the day, the general consensus was people, they know what he did for them for the last 20 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and if he, if they're going to move on as a team, and he is going to transition elsewhere and play elsewhere, then, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, and that was kind of the the consensus was it wasn't a breakup. It was just, you know, moving on. And, and I think that was an interesting way that that occurred because I know one of the, names we didn't initially have on the lost list because it wasn't a player that Mm -hmm. played with them this year, but Rob Gronkowski that I'm sure we'll talk about joining him. There was a different reaction there than there was with Brady. And I think it's very interesting. Um, Obviously in sports, you just don't really see this happen when like a guy that is, you know, arguably the best of all time at the position. You know, there's always those arguments. Um, A guy that has, dominated two decades of football and then leaves the team. He's only ever known for another organization. And it's just, you know, you, you think back to some of the biggest names in the game of where they ended up, like where guys ended their career, you know, Montana Farb. you think about guys like that and it's like, you always think about the glory days, but then it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh gosh, he ended up like finishing up here. There's really nothing going on here. Yeah. The, but what's interesting is that no one thinks it's going to happen with Bray. They still think he's somehow going to compete, you know, even at his age and with that team. They still like, they say, well, the Bucks now host a Super Bowl. Will he, you know, take them to the Super Bowl in their home stadium? And it's a very interesting um, dynamic when you think about a guy that, you know, in all intents and purposes could have retired as a pitcher this year and no one would have thought any less of him, but he just wants to keep going.
0: I think the the really interesting part of it is, yeah, I mean, obviously no one thought this was going to happen, but as you said, it's been 20 years of just pure dominance for this team. And so from that perspective, anyone under the age of 19 literally knows <laughs> nothing else other than Tom Brady. So he's your favorite player. Most likely he's the one that you always look to. Yeah. You love Bill Belichick and what he does if you're from there, but what is that? Like, what is that? Like how many people are, finding out that they're actually Tom Brady fans, not Patriots fans. And how many people are actually angry about the fact that he left and saying, how could he do that to, you know, us and this team? Like, where, where is that dichotomy and where are people like, kind of on that spectrum? I'm curious.
1: I think that's a good point. You, um, if you were to look at the fan base, the the fan base that knew the Patriots before Tom Brady, just appreciate everything he did for that Mm -hmm. organization and what they want. And uh, they were the, so bad.
0: Everyone forgets like tw- the last 20 years, they've been incredible, but they were the laughing stock mm-hmm. of football for, for like 20 years before that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you go uh, to Patriot Place, they have like a um, their kind of Patriot Hall of Fame mm-hmm. area, um, you know, going through the seasons, all the championships. They have a, a video that they run through. And the most interesting part is before they got to the success, they were atrocious. They actually almost moved out of the entire region and mm-hmm. moved. As a team and they they were sold at that point kept there and then the team somehow find uh, found a way to have a home and it it took until this for them to really cement themselves Mm -hmm. Um, I mean obviously you know you look at at in the east in the past and with the bills with you know Jim Kelly and how the bills were very dominant for a period of time but when New England had Brady and they took over young fans that started even like even you know, 19, 20 years old, even you know, people into their their mid-20s mm-hmm. that were like, you know, very young children when Brady took over, they don't know anything other than Patriots winning and Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that had the the reaction of, you know, he's you know betraying the, the mm-hmm. team, the the city, the fan base, that kind of thing. And I mean, it's certainly not the case, but it's just it's a dose of reality yeah. to young Patriots fans that are gonna start understanding what. Every other team in the league has gone through over the last 20 years.
0: Crossing my fingers, man. Yeah, because they're they're the only team that's never been bad. The one the one there they were bad, they still had 10 wins and they just missed the playoffs because I think the two wildcard team had eleven or something, or or one of the wildcard teams had 10 and they just lost the tiebreaker in some capacity. So it's crazy. Um I'm really excited to see what happens. I don't know. I think I'm rooting more for Tom Brady than for Bill Belichick just to see kind of what that looks like. Cause Bill Belichick can coach for the next 50 years. It looks like he's a robot. Uh, Tom Brady will eventually stop playing at some point, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, they also did lose, as I said, some other players, Kyle Van Noy, huge part, uh, you know, linebacker yeah. in the defense, Jamie Collins, another linebacker, Gustavsky again, released, retired, whatever you want to say there. I think he'll probably end up retiring. Um, how do you like moving, you know, considering everything they've lost retained and, and people they brought in, what were some of their biggest needs going into the draft?
1: Well, you look at, I mean, you lose two big-time linebackers, right? Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy. Van Noy stays in the division. Uh, ironically, you look at some of the biggest losses between Van Noy, Collins, Harmon, and Shelton. And Shelton, as you mentioned, former first-round pick of the Browns, it was terrible there. Terrible. Somehow, New England resurrects career. And now all four of them, three of them going to, to Detroit, are all joining former defensive coaches of the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm shocker right from the Belichick tree but I think when you look at where they went in the draft you lose Harmon you lose Van Nooy you lose Collins okay so what do you do with your first three picks you go defensive back linebacker linebacker makes sense methodical Mm -hmm. approach interesting how in the third round they went with two tight ends then they signed an undrafted free agent tight end out of Boston College gave him a guaranteed $80,000 which normally means he's going to have a pretty good shot of making the team i mean you don't guarantee money to an undrafted free agent but you have a new england kid you know went to boston college um so that's three tight ends i mean this is the patriots they they Mm -hmm. love to stockpile tight ends right but where you go in the draft i mean classic patriots move going to you know the safety from Mm -hmm. Leonard ryan you know kyle Douglas, like of course, right? Let's go completely. And I know this kid had a lot of attention leading up mm-hmm. to the draft. So certainly nothing, you know, taken away from him and, and the program it came from. But would you expect the Patriots to do anything less than to oh, take no. this absolute true wild card? Because you've never seen him against top competition. You know, yes, there's a lot of talk about him, but you you don't know what you're gonna get until he comes in. And the pick thirty-seven. You know that's borderline first-round territory. Yeah. So, you know, to to come into that role, I mean, you're going to expect this person to contribute, and then and then you go, you know, power five conference linebackers mm-hmm. the next two picks, right? Yeah, yeah you got so. to get out of, out of Michigan, get out of Alabama. I mean, yeah.
0: You know? And it, exactly, and that is it. When it happened, I was like, "Well, duh! Like, I, of course, Bill Belichick's the guy who picks this no-name, essentially kid, uh, Kyle Duggard from Lenora." I don't. Where know is that Division Two? Is it Division Double One A? I actually don't even know anything about the school or anything about him. What can you tell me? Do you know anything about this guy?
1: This Division Two? Um, I, I'm trying to think if they're in the Carolinas or where they. I know they're on the See? East Coast. I, I'm not even where they're at. Um, Just because who, I mean, other than this kid, and it's, it's funny because the school started actually getting scouts to come watch him. Mm -hmm. And this was the the first time they've, they've had scouts actually go to the end of their game. Let's be serious here. Division two program. Exactly. But it was just a very bizarre situation, extremely late bloomer and grew into a frame that could compete at the top level and clearly was the best player every time he was on the field. Mm-hmm. And it just was was extremely obvious to the point that the film of these games started to get onto the internet, social media, and started to get around be like, who is this guy? Like, Why is he playing here? Why, mm-hmm. why didn't he get recruited to go play somewhere else? Well, the thing is because when the recruiting process was going on, this guy was small. He was not listed as athletic at all. And all of a sudden just exploded. Very late bloomer. Very interesting story. I I hope that he actually is able to continue excelling at the highest level because I think it's a great story.
2: Yeah, but oh, yeah.
1: it's just an unbelievable wild card from someone who had no no sniffs at all at mm-hmm. the Division One or the the uh, you know the FC the FBS or the FCS mm-hmm. level. I mean, yep. you're talking about going to Division Two. You're you're not ever thinking about playing pro football. You think about going there, getting your degree, and playing out your time, and then moving mm-hmm.
0: on. And it's- it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, Division Two is really like the third or the fourth, because you you have the Power Five, you have the Group of Five, then you have the FCS Division Double One and uh, One Double A, and then there's Division Two. So there's like there like he couldn't even make it into like the not North Dakota is a bad example because they're fantastic, but there are so many like Carson Wentz, at least came from a school that was considered division one, right? You know, Dallas Goddard division one, you know, just to name a couple Eagles for you, but it's just crazy. He didn't even make it to the lowest level of division one. He was in division two. And considering, as you said, then the next two picks are just power five. I mean, Michigan and Alabama, does it get any more like, like blue blood than that? It's like, get it bill belichick smarter than me i will never ever deny that it's just crazy to me that as you said he's taking a complete wild card and i know i think uh, if i'm not mistaken there were some really funny pictures going around while everybody was at the combine bill belichick was the only person actually working out this kid during the combine so everyone else is at the combine he's the only one not there and he's working this kid out and just like a rainy like football field somewhere and it's just like pure unadulterated bill belichick and you're right it's crazy i mean does he have comps? Like, can you compare him to anybody if he comes from division two? Like I don't, who's come from division two?
1: That's the thing. I mean, you, you try and think back to players, uh, but you're, you're going to a different era of football of guys that, that came out of these small programs. Cause on the offensive side, I think of like, you know, Randy Moss or uh, Jerry Rice or guys that came out of small programs. It's, it's tough to, to compare a kid without seeing him against players of, of, higher talent level and magnitude mm-hmm. like you can you can look at size and you can see what he's done on the field and you can you know start to look at players that had similar attributes or or perform similarly however coming out of that it just it's very hard to put a comp on I mean it's kind of like I think back to and I know it's uh, you know you're looking at the other side of the ball but you, know, you look at like a, like a former eagle and Brian Westbrook but he went to Villanova you know, mm-hmm. and a school that again, no one came out of Villanova and went pro. Yeah. Here's this guy that had no business, you know, really playing to his level as a pro. But now you compare people to him, you know. But mm-hmm. going into the league, it's like you, you didn't compare Brian Westbrook to anyone. You didn't, you know, no mm-hmm. one knew who this guy was, you know. And I think that even as a as safety, I feel like you still don't really know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because if you see him playing, and the first couple of years assuming things go well for him in new england i think they will because he's joining an organization that has a phenomenal coaching staff i have to think that you give it a little bit of time in the pro level and there will start to be comparisons made mm-hmm. i think it's early to make a comparison because quite frankly i just don't think that we we know enough about him like we we see a lot of the excitement but what is he going to do on the field you know what's his true role going to be and and how are the Patriots going to utilize him? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a very interesting situation. They've they've had some very interesting situations from a defensive back perspective in general. Um, guys leaving, you know, obviously Harmon, but even in years past, yeah, there's a situation with Patrick Chung. Um, you know, and, and see so yeah. you like you look about kind of what what's what that secondary will look like. Obviously, it's gonna be anchored by Devin McCordy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's one of your leaders, you bring him back, but what role does this guy fill, and in what capacity can he perform? And then, then once he settles in, then it'll be interesting to compare him to mm. guys that are at that level. Because I guarantee you'll be comparing him to guys that probably played at Power Five conferences, or mm. you know, it's tough to compare anyone to someone that played D two or or yeah. or you know, the the old D one AA now FCS. I mean, even thinking back to that, it's like, you know, who like who, do, who yeah. are you going to compare him to? And and I think that it's very difficult to do so.
0: It's very difficult, and I also think it's. I I agree with you. Like, I kind of want this guy to be great. I I hate that he's on the Patriots, but of course, it's an awesome story. Of course, you want him to be good. The one thing I will say, especially this year, and we'll we'll continue to talk about it. uh, You know, throughout this conversation, rookies aren't going to have as much of an impact. You know, Justin and I have talked about this. Derek, Nick, Justin, we've all we've all spoken about this, and it's they're not going to have as much of an impact because I think today is when rookie virtual mini training camp or some BS is starting. And what, what, what are you doing? Okay, you get the playbook. That's cool. Like, you can talk to mm-hmm. each other. You can't actually do anything. And I think that, you know, depending on how long this lasts and where, and I know the NFL was very adamant, if I'm not mistaken, at least the last time I read, that if it's not, if all the teams can't go to a practice facility, none of the teams can go to a practice facility. So even in places like, I don't know, Green Bay, where it's less populated compared to especially New York City, Philadelphia, Boston, these areas, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're going to be affected because it's so bad still here on the East Coast in these major, major metropolis areas. And it's just unfortunate that a lot of these rookies that we talk about are probably going to have very, very little impact, especially on the offensive side when we get to the fantasy aspects of some of these things. But it's, it's weird, man. I don't know. And I mean, I love it. Again, I want him to be good. Of course, it's Bill Belichick that picks him with the 37th overall pick, but it is, uh, it is crazy to me. So then the, the next pick in round 260 overall, they got Josh Uche, uh, linebacker out of Michigan, and in the third round, eighty-seven overall. Anthony Jennings, linebacker out of Alabama, both again, Michigan and Alabama, coming off the board after Lenore Rye. Uh, just hilarious. But how how do you feel about these two linebackers essentially kind of filling the filling the gaps and filling the spaces where some of these other linebackers may have left a hole?
1: Yeah, and I like both of these picks for this team. And one of the things to your point about how, and I know it's been discussed, rookies having less of an impact this year because there's less ramp-up time for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be accelerated and condensed and they're not going to have the same feel for the environment, for the team, the you know, all the aspects mm-hmm. when you're in a normal environment that you can go in. Um, to that, the I think the players that are best suited to make an impact as a rookie are players that come from programs that coach a pro style mm-hmm. that are proven... To turn players quickly into good pros in their first year or two, and that have been just well coached over that time, and I think that that's where you look at some of these these major programs mm-hmm. uh, from coaches that have also played or that have played or and or coached in the NFL. Yeah, and they're able to prepare these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think there's any better. You know, in a, such a unique situation that we're in, you look at at these players that come from programs. I mean, you got Michigan and Alabama. You know, there's a a lot of pro influence in those coaching staffs and those meeting rooms. That means that they're going to help get these guys ready as well. You know, they're certainly not going to just move on without them. They're going to help these guys adjust. And I like both of these picks. I think you're getting something a little bit different in each individual, but you know, you look at a Kyle Van Noy versus Jamie Collins. I mean, two very different styles of linebacker, but they both were effective in their time in New England. I think that's the key is that for Belichick and his staff, to find and they always do, they pull out the strengths of each of these individuals mm-hmm. and they somehow, you know, will morph their own linebacking positions to make this work for for whomever they have. You know, it's you know, you just you have like, you know, the way that Kyle Van Noy played the game, you know, I'm interested to see what he'll do down in Miami because like you said, he kind of bombed in Detroit. I mean it's just like it's a unique style of play because he doesn't I wouldn't say he excels or is is elite in any particular area you know Jamie Collins I think a bigger name coming out a guy that you kind of expect certain things from mm-hmm. but you know same situation with these two young individuals going in I think that you're going to get a little bit of something different from them but when it comes to New England that's okay they're not a team that says I have to have this style of linebacker whether it's it's the small undersized speed guy whether it's the big inside run stuffing guy you know, the NFL is a hybrid now and and new England's one of the best at, at picking guys that can come off the field and go stay on the field in, in three down situations.
0: A hundred percent. It's so frustrating. It's a tale as old as time, but yeah, if I, if I had a place of bet, I would think, you know, you're, I love the point that you make, you know, they're, it's it's funny the point you make, of course, because that first pick is is from a Division <laughs> two school with probably not that great of coaching, and not not a, nothing against that guy, but obviously right. you're comparing yeah. him to Nick Saban, and you know how you feel about John Harbaugh. Like, of course, he's not going to have that level of expertise, yeah. especially with these guys both coaching in the NFL, uh, you know, playing a lot of football in their careers as well. So it's it's very interesting to me there. But then, as you said, then they go to to the bluest of the blue bloods coming out of programs that they're probably going to be more turnkey than anything. And now Bill Belichick can utilize them. And as you said, two completely different linebackers and what they lost, but really two different kinds of linebackers and what they bring in. And of course, Bill Belichick is going to figure out a way to put them in the best possible situations. And I'm confident that defense is going to be great, even with all the losses that they did incur. Um, so then in the third round, in essentially back to back picks within four picks of each other. Oh, no, I apologize. Uh, and within 10 picks of each other, they take um, Devin Asani. Did I say that right? Uh, uh whatever, tight uh, uh, end out uh, of LT.
2: Ashy?
0: Yeah, that's that's cool. Tight end out of UCLA <laughs> and Dalton Keene, tight end out of Virginia Tech. Um, as you said before, they love to stockpile tight ends. They brought in another one as an un- uh, um, undrafted free agent what about these two guys? And I guess, what do you see in them and and how to make the easiest comparison? Like how, which one's Gronk and which one's Aaron Hernandez? Like how, <laughs> how are they just going to try and replicate what they used to have and just give Jared Stidham now, just these two incredible tight ends that go along with the rest of the offense.
1: You know, it's interesting that you say that because now all the comparisons will be who's Gronk and who's Aaron Hernandez. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet when you look at these guys, I mean, I don't think either is Gronk. I don't think no. there's Aaron Hernandez. And it's Nobody's
0: like, either. That's the thing. Like, you They're know, terrible so now- comparisons. Nobody's Gronk. <laughs> He's the best of all time at tight end. It's ridiculous.
1: So, you know, you what you look at in these guys is, you know, the what you're going to get in the New England offense is going to be a very muddled view from a receiver perspective, tight end mm-hmm. and receiver. I mean, you look at, the, quite frankly, I think when you look at these two, you need to look more at what they're going to bring to the the team on the field, whether it's it's in their blocking abilities or their ability just to run routes. Because aside from Julian Edelman, let's be serious here. When you look at that receiving core, it's extremely depleted. You lost Philip Dorsett. I know that you know they're really banking high on their first round pick from last year that kid out Arizona State, and they think that you know that there's going to be a lot of potential there. Um, but this is a team that has always, and they were the first ones really that, that brought the two tight ends set onto the field, set them out wide, put them in the slot, whatever they felt like doing, because what they're trying to do is just create mismatches. Mm-hmm. And just look at the size differential, right? That's the biggest thing. That's what Gronk brought to the table. Aaron Hernandez is a guy that was more of your speed tight end. You know, kind of like what, what when Mark Andrews came into the league with with Baltimore, you know, a tight end that could really stretch the field. You know, and that was just not what tight ends used to be. Now you see it all the time. Now you Mm -hmm. see, you know, Kelsey, Ertz. I mean, the big names in the league. Okay, what can they do from you know more than just blocking? Now these are Mm -hmm. guys that are very athletic, and that's what New England is looking at here in these two guys. You're gonna, again, much like when you go linebacker, linebacker, tight end, tight end. It's like, all right, you're not gonna take the same player twice, but yet Mm -hmm. leave it to New England to duplicate their their positions multiple times in the same draft. And and then they, as I mentioned, they add the um mm-hmm. young kid out of Boston College as an undrafted free agent. There's no, you know, guarantee he makes a team, but they gave him a guaranteed eight thousand. I know they could easily write that off, but normally when you're looking at a kid from Boston College up in New England, you guarantee him money. He's a tight end. It's the New England Patriots. I think some way this kid finds mm-hmm. a way to make the team. Yeah. And I so, so now you that. add three tight ends in in one offseason. And I think what's going to be important is to figure out, you know, what role these guys are are going to Mm -hmm. uh, carve out for themselves, you know, because this is a team that is in transition across the board. They don't have Tom Brady, who is an elite, accurate quarterback, that is always picking his spots from a route running perspective, you're going to get something a little bit different. You don't really know what to expect from the quarterback position. So I, I don't know what you're going to get out of these two initially. I think that's going to take some time for for both these kids to develop and, and show themselves in, in what their true value is going to be to the team. But one thing is for sure is that knowing New England, they're both going to see the field. And yeah. I think they're both going to have the opportunity to to show themselves in, in both sides of the ball here. And, and it depends on how they're going to excel from a, a blocking perspective and a reception perspective, as I mean. And I just don't know what you're going to get from them because you don't have reliable Tom Brady. If you had Tom mm-hmm. Brady, like, all right, you know, now make your, your comparison to how these yep. guys are going to fill into those old tight end roles. I don't know what this team is planning on doing, you know, and, and in the talk up here, no one knows. Because when you aren't sure if you're going Jurt Stidham, if you're going with Hoyer, if you're looking at one of the the free agents still left out there, you know all of these guys utilize tight ends in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. You know Tom Brady was Mister Consistent and how he utilized these guys and and he helped make their careers. Um, classic Patriots moves, but you know it, both could be impactful players and also either or could very well work themselves out of the system. Mm-hmm. And that's just the yep. way New England works. And I and I I couldn't. Couldn't pick one over the other because, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, I think right now it's a toss up. You look at these two
0: it's it's something man i mean it's just it's so frustrating because we make we we, we do all this and uh, we do all this for fun we talk about it we try and think of this think of that but we have no idea <laughs> we, the, the comparison is always you know someone's playing chess someone's playing checkers bill belichick's playing like that chinese game that's like takes 18 years to finish like that's the game he's playing we're still trying to figure out how to play checkers yep. and it's it's frustrating but hey that's why he's been to nine super bowls in the last what 16 years or something 17 years so it is what it is and we will uh we will move on and hope for the worst for them uh so just a couple (laughs) late round picks here they had a few late round picks a fifth three six and a seventh so in the fifth round 159 overall they take the kicker i'm not even going to try his name's first name's justin what's up justin um but (laughs) i don't know what his roar wasser i don't know he had some racist stuff on his arm people are pretty angry about that um 182 overall, they pick a guard out of Michigan. 195, take a, take an offensive tackle at a Wake Forest. 204, linebacker out of Wyoming. 230, a center out of Memphis. So clearly, they were paying attention to offensive line in the later part of the draft. I mean, of these guys, I mean, who do you like? Who do you know of that could potentially start to make an impact sooner rather than later? Obviously, the kicker he's picked in the fifth round you think he's going to make the team but again crazier things have happened does anyone out here really stand out in terms of either really fits the the patriot system patriot way or or even has it has a potential to make some impact early
1: yeah i mean i think one it's interesting they they took the first special teams guy off the board Mm -hmm. right and then and i know they move on from goskowski but you're talking about a fifth round pick at 159 taking this kicker out of marshall that some people didn't even think was the best kicker in the draft Mm -hmm. and again, classic Patriots move, right? They just think that they're smarter than everyone else and and what they know. I I like their next pick, another Michigan kid coming off the board. I think a versatile guard that you have. Um, Also, we were talking about Tui or, or tuning earlier in terms mm-hmm. of the franchise tag. Yep. You're not quite sure what the future holds for the line, especially at that guard position. I think in the sixth round you get a player of value, potential, well-coached kid. I think that he could step in, someone who can be, you know, learning on the back end of things to to potentially grow into a larger role in, in maybe mm-hmm. you know two to three years. And um, you know, and, and I think when you look at you know just the next pick, a few picks away from there, you know, a, a tackle out of Wake Forest. In you know Wake Forest again, a team that you know it's it's tough to get a good read on in terms mm-hmm. of the the ability of their players because quite frankly you just don't see a lot of explosiveness coming out of their offense. However, Justin Huron is a kid that I think is going to step in to New England, and as uh, a late round pick, I think is someone that could probably learn to play both you know on the left and the right side. Someone who mm-hmm. can step into that organization as just you know a depth player block that given the opportunity can step into a role and and it just comes down to, I think the uh, biggest attribute when you look at any of these draft picks and these kids, and obviously they went O-line three out of the last four, right? So, you know, when you look at that, you look at coachability
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's the biggest thing. I know that that's across the board, a very blanket statement, but in the Patriots organization, I think that has the biggest impact compared to any other team out there that goes back to that Patriot way mentality. I think you look at it, a kid that can come in is a student of the game. You look at the players that have really excelled within that franchise over the years, players that were not big names who went in there. That's because they were students of the game. Mm-hmm. They spent their time in the film room. They had tremendous coaching, uh, coaching staffs to assist them. And I think you look at these, you know, when you go o line heavy at the end, you're looking for guys that can just start to learn your system, learn mm-hmm. how your team's going to operate. And, you know, it, there's no mistake. You go tackle, guard, and center. You don't duplicate in the last three or the last four picks of those three. You know, I know they have that the linebacker out of Wyoming as well. You know, I think you look at, you know, you have two linebackers already early second, third round. So, you know, if you look at an opportunity for a six-rounder from Wyoming, you're probably looking more at special teams than anything mm-hmm. at this point in the game. But very few teams value special teams as much as the Patriots. So, you know, they could even look at that as – Hey, we have something here as a strong special teamer. But I think that's the biggest thing. Look at the three of the last four picks is linemen. It's who can develop to be low in terms of the, the um, expectations and mm-hmm. the compensation level. You know, these are lower end picks. This is a, a franchise that is notorious for taking advantage of the opportunity to have someone at the lower end of the compensation spectrum because they can spend their money elsewhere. And mm-hmm. you've seen that over and over again with them. And, and it's no surprise that they take three project linemen. Obviously, one of those three is power five. And that's why I mentioned him particularly because I just think that from the the potential of those three, I think that a versatile guard, um, especially where that franchise is going, could provide mm-hmm. some tremendous value. Yeah.
0: That's a really good point. I I really like that again, the coachability aspect. Can you just listen? because they know better. One thing I will say, I mean, Dante Scarnecchia, he's one of two offensive line coaches that I think anybody in the NFL can name him and Tom Cable. And that's because Tom Cable choked a guy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, other than that, like he's gone, you know, Dante Scarnecchia is no longer the coach there. I'm sure they've been grooming whomever for the last... 15 years of his contract or whatever it's been. So I'm sure they're going to be fine, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. Um, You know, I don't think the Patriots are going to be the same when Josh McDaniels eventually potentially takes over. So we'll see what happens there. And I mean, again, I mean, it's interesting to say the least, the Patriots had a very interesting draft. I think they're going to be fine. Again, Bill Belichick knows so much more than I do. Sometimes I think, you know, the one thing we can point out and say, he still didn't draft any wide receivers. And I think that's because he kind of sucks at drafting wide receivers. I mean, like, no, he doesn't really, other than Randy Moss, obviously, who he didn't draft. I mean, of the wide receivers, he's never really drafted that many good ones, especially over the last 20 years for Tom Brady. It's kind of crazy how, uh, you know, Julian Edelman. Yes. Um, Danny Amendola came from uh, St. Louis now LA, you know, like it's just been very weird in that regard. So I'm not too surprised, but man, they know tight ends and I'm sure they're going to be just fine on that end, but moving on from Tom Brady, uh, just a couple more minutes here on the Patriots. What do you think What does this team look like next year and how on edge are the Patriots up there and uh, our Patriots fans up there uh, where you're living?
1: I think the biggest question is uh, entering this season, this is probably the first year, quite frankly, in at least the last decade, if not longer, that the Patriots might not be the favorite to win this division. Mm -hmm. And, And that's just, you look at you've Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer as your quarterbacks and this league, quite frankly, goes with the quarterback. They did a terrible job of utilizing Sony Michelle last year. I don't know if he's going to have an expanded role in this offense because of, of Brady moving on. Not quite sure how they plan on utilizing him. I think he was you know, misused a bit last year when they could have uh, taken advantage of his opportunities and his value. Um, but with that aside, to your point, not a great team at, at drafting linebackers or uh, drafting wide receivers and, and, quite frankly, not a – a team that really focuses there. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you look at not this year's draft, but last year's draft, it was kind of an anomaly and yeah. where you look at. And, and obviously they think very highly of that young kid and, and he did nothing in year one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a um, jury will be out because if he doesn't work out and pan out, this team is then going to look to more of those transitional players. But mm-hmm. I think that Tom Brady made players great in the role they served. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, Edelman, Amendola, you know, you see these guys like a Rex Burkhead, you know, and like guys, you know, James White, the way they utilize Mm -hmm. these types of guys that are small players, they all are shifty. They find a way they're great route runners, whether they're running backs or receivers. They just, it doesn't matter what position they are because they just churn these guys out to Mm -hmm. produce. However, you look at now Tom Brady's gone. It's how they move on from him. Is it Jarrett Stidham? You know, is that what they said when they because one of the biggest surprises of the draft is they didn't draft a quarterback at all.
0: Yeah, not even at all. Usually you'd think they'd grab one. I think they have three sixth round picks. Like, is that linebacker out of Wyoming that better than at least just getting a look at some of these quarterbacks? Like, it's crazy to me.
1: You know, the irony is that every team in the AFC East drafted at least one quarterback except for the Patriots. And Mm -hmm. they're the only team that you expected to draft a quarterback.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: And it's, it's a a very Bill Belichick type move where he puts his Husky in the seat, walks away, doesn't really care in the draft. Like he
2: just I did is, love that. I'm not going to lie. I love that. <laughs>
1: like he just, you know, kind of almost is like he's toying with just mm-hmm. the league and the way he, he plays this mental game. But he must have at this point, knowing just what he's done from a coaching perspective, in his mind, he's either he's moving forward with Stidham or he has a plan in place. Um, I, you have guys uh, still available. I mean, Hoyer, it, I cannot imagine you go into week one with, with Brian Hoyer's your, your starter. I, mm-hmm. I think that if you go into week one, it's Jarrett Stidham or you look at one of the three top guys remaining in free agency. And I just don't, I don't see it. I just saw a report today of, you know, I, and I'm sure Justin could speak better at this one, but Andy Dalton, they're talking about him going to Jacksonville mm-hmm. potentially. And, um, Cam Newton, I just can't see. Oh God, no! That in New England. Um, Jameis Winston just went to the Saints again. Another player that they were talking about in New England, not a good fit. Um, you know, Joe Flacco is he someone that maybe ends up there? I don't know. Um, I think at that point, you know, you see what you haven't stood him. Um, but very yeah. odd that they didn't take someone late, you know, a project. I mean, this is a an organization that loves project players. And the yeah. fact they didn't take one quarterback late was definitely a surprise. So that's the biggest question is how they move on from Brady and what this offense looks like. Do they become a more balanced offense that actually runs the ball? Mm-hmm. Um, or did they expect whoever steps in as a, a Jarrett Stidham or whomever? To, to run this offense just like Brady and being very methodical and a game manager going up and down the field and just put puzzle pieces in. I think that this team more than any just has roles already laid out. And now they just go get the player that they're going to plug in that like, you're going to do this and, it's worked
0: so and it's going to work and it's going to keep working. And we're all just going to keep crying um, down here outside of Patriot country. And I think uh, we'll talk about it in a bit with the bills, but I thought Jacob Beeson was the absolute perfect, especially with him in the fifth round. I just thought it was an absolute steal. The Patriots would pick him up. See Jared said stuck, put Jacob Beeson in. And everyone be like, wait, why did this guy drop to the fifth round again? Oh, he can't throw the ball a mile, but he can do everything else. Fine. Hmm, that's interesting. But that would have been perfect Patriots for me um, personally. So let's, that's enough about the Patriots. I don't want to talk about them anymore. They're too good. Let's move on to the rest of the AFC. And as you said, they've sucked. Um, As you said, Patriots might not be favored to win the East. I actually think. They might be, uh, or at least they're tied with the bills and at least win total. I don't know where the juice is right now, but I'm pretty sure they're both around nine and a half wins. Uh, the bills, obviously they traded their first round pick for Stephon Diggs. I think a first and like a fourth or a fifth. They, I love this. They brought in Josh Norman on a one-year deal to see if he can, <laughs> I don't know, just be alive anymore. brought in Mario Addis, Addison, AJ Klein, uh, Vernon Butler. I thought that was a pretty interesting one. Quentin Jefferson, of the players they gained, outside of Digs, because I think that's that's a pretty obvious one, yeah. um, how do you feel about the rest of the players that you think uh, that they brought into their team in the offseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like the offseason that the Bills had. Um, and, and why I say I think the Patriots might not be the fair is because you look at the season the Bills had last year and you see the way teams are trending. And yes, the Patriots are the Patriots until someone takes them out, right? Mm-hmm. However, with the Bills, their team is trending upwards And they have a a young, very strong team that has an identity. Mm -hmm. Their defense, we've always known. Their defense, I mean, you go to Buffalo, good luck against that defense. I mean, even the Patriots, when their Mm -hmm. offense is demolishing everyone else, they go to Buffalo, you're playing that game, you're dealing with the Buffalo Mafia, the Bills Mafia. You just, somehow, you just can't get anything going. Mm -hmm. So you start on the defensive end, right? The Digs move. I loved it. I think that that gives them the explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then we'll get into the draft picks later. I also like what they did at running back mm-hmm. as well with Zach Moss. But yeah. um, you look at the players they've added. Josh Norman, total toss-up, one-year deal. Love Why it. not take a shot, right? You know, he could go there and he could add some some jump to that defensive back core. If nothing else, a little swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and quite frankly, he might not really – pan out might be one of those veteran guys that goes there extremely average at best, but it doesn't matter. It's a one year deal. You didn't sign him to a lucrative contract. You didn't put multiple years into it. So it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know what? Very, uh, very low risk move, high reward. If he actually comes back in into to turn, I mean, Washington ruined that guy. Unfortunately, I was, so I was
0: going to say for on Josh Norman for a second. The reason I love it is I don't know how hard. I mean, he was not good last year, and he was he was bad last year, and he wasn't very good the year before that. Remembering what he was when he was in his prime is one thing, but also understanding the Redskins were supposed to be bad and they were very very bad. So. 'm not gonna I'm not gonna call into question his level of uh, effort I don't think that's a good thing to do to another human being but at the same time how hard do you think he was actually trying do you really think he cared about any of those games at all so I am curious I'm just curious as you said it's a one year deal I think it's only a couple million bucks they figured out I mean their caps their cap was just completely ridiculous three years ago I think they had like 70 million or something ridiculous in dead cap money but once all that got flushed out then they found some found some dollars and as you said they've been able to build a team actually compete I mean they made it to the playoffs for what the second time I think in three years which is incredible I mean they haven't been in the playoffs in a million years before that and they should have won that game that's a whole nother conversation but I don't know I'm excited and what about uh what about the rest of the off uh offseason signings
1: yeah I, I really like um you know adding I think AJ Klein I love AJ Klein he's just a tackling machine I mm-hmm. mean he's a guy that you can plug in on the outside. He can hop into the inside if need be, depending on your package. But he's just like Mr. Reliable. And I just, for the Bills' defense, it fits in, I think, perfectly. He's mm-hmm. going to be a guy that's going to be a high tackle, total guy, and just, you know, is um, is a guy that doesn't need anything either. He's just going to go in, do his job, get it done, really fits in. I mean, Sean McDermott, you know, obviously from his ties way back when with, with Philadelphia. And then I know he had a couple stops along the way, but he's always had that mentality. I mean, he a great defensive mind in that regard. Uh, Mario Addison, I think will be an interesting pick. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, three year deal. I think you can get some tremendous value. He obviously offers some more rush on the edge compared to an AJ Klein, more of just your kind of steady tackling uh, linebacker. But I like what they did. I mean, you look at at what they've done with those two additions there, you know, you add two more guys to your D line. I mean, this is a team that can, can't have enough guys in the front seven. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, Three linebackers. When when you also add Kevich um, uh, also on, on a couple year deal, and then you have Quentin Jefferson again. Uh, you know the guy that I think you could actually you know pick some potential out of that can maybe resurrect some things with Buffalo. Signed a two year contract, so obviously they think highly enough to give him two mm-hmm. years. And then Vernon Butler as well. Same thing on the D line. Uh, again, a team that you know does not shy away from filling up their front seven. That's where they've med- made their bread and butter, and that's why they cause so many problems for other teams when it comes to the defensive side of the football. I mean, especially when you look at the run, they've always been a great run defense. And they find a way to frustrate teams in the passing game too without really bringing in top-name cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, yep. this is a team that when Ronald Darby was actually a, a big name in the game, they decided to trade him away for Jordan Matthews. Nothing comes of it, but they just move on. And they no worse for wear. You know, it, it's just a, a team that I think you, you pick up Guys in your front seven, they, and when teams can't run the football, you're forced to throw the ball. But then that's when the pass rush comes in. So I think mm-hmm. Mario Addison might actually benefit quite a bit from joining this team and especially in those passing downs.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I always root for the Bills. I mean, they're always just kind of, it's so sad. Uh, So I'm always a fan of the, you know, the Bills. I want to see the Browns be good. Like there's just some of those teams where I'm, unless they're playing the Giants, I kind of, it would be nice to see them win, right? Like I just want them to win. And the Bills are always one of those teams. I think half of it is because I actually watched people when I was in Cleveland last year, when we were in Cleveland last year, we actually watched Bills Mafia throw each other through tables, which seeing it in person, there's just this it's just this energy that comes off that table when you hear it snap and crack and the person kind of get up and they're excited, but you can tell it's like, dude, did you break a rib? Are you okay? But no, you're still (laughs) drinking. You're good. Okay. We're good. So, you know, I'm always a big fan of the bills. Um, They obviously brought back a bunch of their players as well. Starlet, didn't realize he was even still in the league, honestly, but I mean, defensive tackles that you don't know their name. That means they're probably pretty damn good at run stuffing. If you don't hear him dating sacks, Jordan Poyer, I don't know how he, why the Browns let him go, but he's been fantastic in the back end of that defense since he's been in Buffalo. He's been great. He's not a huge ball hawk, but he gets a bunch of tackles and he does have interceptions. I always feel like it's three, four interceptions every year. It's like, that's pretty damn good. He's always doing something. Also, I will put my hand up and say that his wife is the best follow on Instagram. So if anyone out there does not do that already, I would highly suggest it. It's resigning a guard, always very important. Bringing back a tight end always very important. I mean, I think what they did in re-signing everybody, just the people that are there again, none of these are long-term. There's one three-year deal. There's just a bunch yeah. of ones or two, two three years. I apologize, bunch of ones and a two-year deal. So they're not, they're not mortgaging their future on any of these guys. But if they're in the system, they're worth it. They're well spent. I mean, it makes sense, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, run stuffing, D tackle. I mean, Star Lutaleli when he first came in the league out of Utah. I mean, he's a guy that. Was just mammoth of a human being that would mm-hmm. just plug the hole. He was like your perfect four-three mm-hmm. type D tackle. I mean, everyone loved this guy. Now he's maybe on the the backside of his career, mm-hmm. but still productive enough there in a three-year deal. And again, you just look at adding to that front seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Poyer, I, I'm with you. I think mean, one of the more underrated safeties in the game. I think one of the better tackling safeties Mm -hmm. in the game too. I mean, this is a guy like talking from a fantasy perspective in an IDP league. This is a guy that has been a a huge contributor last two years, just in tackles alone. He maybe isn't the biggest ball hawk when it comes to picks, anything along those lines, but this guy is steady. I think great fit again for that defense. Cause you don't need, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a ball hawking safety in that defense. You just need a sure tackler who actually isn't afraid to come down into the box as well. I mean, just, fits the mold Shocked that he got out of Cleveland. Oh, well, you know, probably for the best. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Not really
0: surprised. It's still Cleveland. So,
1: so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you look at the guys that walked away from there, but those are the two biggest that come to mind. Mm -hmm. I think you look at the fact they've actually retained a number of the guys too, speaks to what they're developing down there as well. Uh, the, the culture that they are putting in place, the system that they have as a team they're buying in. And that's why you look at them retaining over half a dozen guys And you only let two players go and really one that I think is going to be more impactful than the other in terms of the loss, but then what they did in terms of who they brought in and -hmm. then what they did in the draft. uh, And I'm talking about Shaq Lawson, of course, um, is, is what they've done. But then, I mean, you know, when you transition what they've done, players retained losing very few, and then you go to the draft and it's like Christmas day for them when they're able just to say, oh, well, we lost Shaq Lawson. Well, you know what? we end up getting a guy who had a, maybe a mid first round grade on mm-hmm. some people's boards at 54. So it
0: made absolutely no sense. We were watching this day together. It made zero <laughs> sense that AJ Epinesa made it all the way to pick 54. I mean, I thought once he, I thought he was going to go in the first round. And then once he didn't go in the first round, I was like, awesome. The giants will probably get him at 36 or whatever they were picking. They ended up Xavier McKinney also dropped. And I'm kind of happier that they did take him. Cause he, he looks like he's going to yeah. be a lot of fun in that defense, but Epinesa just kept dropping and kept dropping and the bills. I mean, yeah, they didn't have a first round pick, but they absolutely got a player that just about everybody out there thought was a first round talent. Um, I mean, especially coming into draft season, he was regarded as a top 10 talent by some people like easily. I mean, there was chase young and then him now, obviously edge you yet, uh, uh, Chase on from LSU. Um, mm-hmm. You had Kinlaw. He's more inside. He's more of a D tackle coming in from uh, South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. But Epinesa was still up there with Ytar Gros as well. Uh, Penn State guy, you got your shirt on. I like that. And it's just crazy. I mean, I, I totally agree. It's just insane to me that he dropped that far. How Does he pretty much just fill the hole that Shaq Lawson left?
1: Yeah, I mean... What a player to go to the Bills! I, I think the just you look at, like perfect fit in the draft, yeah. like absolutely. Like, you have you have the kid who's a tough kid out of Iowa. He's he's known Won't for fit. being a like mm-hmm. you know he's like a, a just already a filled out strong DN. He's not one of those like speed edge rushers. He's very physical, good on the on the edge when it comes to the run. I think one of the things people also don't realize. In his last two years in college, he had 22 sacks. We talk about him not really being much of a sack producer in the pros, but mm-hmm. you're talking about Big Ten, offensive lines offensive in the Big Ten. Line. We yep. know how good they are, and this guy finds a way. And, and I had the chance to see him play a few times um, just from following the Big Ten throughout the last couple of years, of course. And I just – you see this guy and you just know he's going to come in and be – he's steady. You know, mm-hmm. you don't, there's extremely low risk, high reward player again here. And it's just like the fact that he falls to 54, I was shocked. I, I actually, when, when the Eagles were picking the pick above, when they end up taking mm-hmm. Jalen hurts, I thought, well, the Eagles love to draft linemen, you know, defensive linemen as well. Why not just add this guy to the mix? I mean, you have to think about where players are at on your big board. You have to think that he's at the top of a lot of teams, big boards, and the mm-hmm. best player available. And at that point, it's like, take the best player available. Mm-hmm. Um, he slips past them. i just, just surprised because, you know, just from past drafts, New England or uh, the Philadelphia loves to to take a guy like that, you know, where you think about a, a player who's going to be a, a DN guy that's Mr. Consistent. And also, quite frankly, I, I thought that even where New England, you know, took Duggar, I thought that they were – a great spot for Epineza. Just mm-hmm. another option where, you know, he just is a very athletic DN, that is physical against the run. And I think underrated in his ability to rush the passer and uh, the bills strike gold here with this pick. I, I just, I can't see this guy not going there and fitting in. Uh, better than most when it comes to, I mean, you talk about a rookie that can make an impact. And we, you mentioned that earlier about how fewer Mm -hmm. rookies this year will, this is a rookie I can see making an impact. I don't know what his numbers are going to look like at the end of the year, but I can see him immediately seeing the field with this team and just being a great puzzle piece.
0: As you said, just building those lines, just building that front seven, just making it frustrating. I mean, being in the the division with Tom Brady for so long, that was always something that they tried to do. And they just did that. They could just never get over the hump offensively. They never had a good quarterback. And Josh Allen's, I think, I think he's okay. He's good enough to take him to the playoffs. At least we've seen that. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And I'm excited. And I love the fact that he said, you know, he fits in well culturally too. He's, he's a big guy. Yep. He looks angry. He sounds angry. And, you know, I think he's going to fit in well, especially in those cold, cold Buffalo home games. We'll see how that goes. So that was their second yep. round pick. And then their third round pick, even yep. though they just grabbed Devin Singletary last year, if I'm not mistaken, or the year prior, they bring in another running back in Zach Moss who ran a terrible 40 time, which is probably a very big reason he dropped this far. But yeah. how do you think he will fit in to that running back room? And more importantly, just into that offense.
1: Yeah, I, I love this pick as well. And, and like I said, he probably fell because of that. Cause this is a game where it was a bad 40. Easier. I don't
0: remember what it was. It was like in the four sevens, if I'm not mistaken. Right.
1: It, it, it was just, you know, I, I think not indicative to the way that he's able to play the game on the field with pads mm-hmm. on. I think you can say about certain players, some of them just don't run great 40 times, but they're faster on the field with pads on, or they just, they don't play the game where they have to be a blazer. And I think that's a Zach Moss style of guy Mm -hmm. you look at, you know, and this is a a great transition from what Frank Gore brought to the table with this team, you know, a physical guy, Frank Gore was, you know, kind of a, an athletic, but meat and potatoes kind of running back Mm -hmm. too. I mean, this is a guy that will go between the tackles. He gets the job done. He'll find a first down and just, if you need three yards, he'll get you three yards. And that's just the way it is. And I think Zach Moss will fit in very well. He'll compliment Singletary in this offense, gives them two running backs. Plus Josh Allen's very mobile. Mm -hmm. He adds Stephon Diggs. I think you have a very good thing going here with your offense. I think Zach Moss is just a great young transition to where Frank Gore is now moving on. Of course, obviously twilighting his career here. With, with that organization, but still productive nonetheless. And then you saw Singletary starting to take over as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. Singletary will, will take over that job, but Zach Moss, I would not be surprised if he sees a lot of, of time on the field as well. I don't know if there was a better running back coming out into the draft at breaking tackles than Zach Moss. You look at his ability to break tackles. You look at his yards after contact. This is a guy that if he didn't play in Utah on the West coast, if he played in a bigger market or maybe Mm -hmm. on the East coast would probably get a lot more attention.
0: Yep. And that's that East coast bias for you. We do uh, only care about people on the East coast because we're (laughs) asleep by the time. I mean, I love college football, but I've probably at the time, most of those games start, I've literally watched 10 and a half hours of football. I'm usually pretty, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm footballed out, but I'm probably asleep because I've been drinking all day. So it's hard for me to watch those pac 12 after dark games. Um, third pick in the draft. And and I love everything you said about him. I think he, again, I think that 40 time made him drop significantly, but if he can break tackles, if you know, if you can make that comparison at all to Frank Gore, who's clearly a hall of famer at this point. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great person to them pair with Singletary. If it could just be the same thing, just a little bit younger, get you those three yards, break some tackles, do what you need to do. And that offense probably, you know, I mean, I don't think they'll lead the league because of what Lamar Jackson and the Ravens did last year, but they'll probably lead the I mean, at least the AFC East. I mean, they'll probably be up there top five in rushing, which I think is always important, which Mm -hmm. is in a pass-happy league, we've always found if you still can run the ball and you run it well, there's a good chance that you actually make the playoffs. So joke's on everybody else. So with their third pick in the fourth round, 128 overall, Gabriel Davis, wide receiver out of UCF. How, um, I mean, they need, I feel like all of the bills wide receivers now that they have Stefan Diggs is a little different, but they were all the same guy. It's like, all right, do you want to run a straight line or do you want to run a straight line? And I feel like that's all they had. Um, now they have Stefan Diggs. He can actually run routes. I'm curious to see how he fits in that offense. I'm curious to see if in the first two games, if he doesn't catch you know, a total of 10 balls, if he just starts getting angry and throwing his helmet places, like I'm curious about that side. As a player, I think he's great. How does he? Uh, how does Gabriel Davis? What does he do? And how does he either complement or just duplicate what they already have in the offense?
1: Well, I, I think what they're adding is more young depth to the wide receiver position to mm-hmm. go along with the because obviously you have your starting two, right? So like no one's expecting a guy to step into one of those top two roles. I mean, when you trade for Diggs, you know you already had a guy in Brown. I mean, I think you have a, a good setup there from uh, just your your simple you mm-hmm. know two wide receiver set. Look at three, okay. So what are we going to do? We're going to implement here. You know, we're going to throw in, uh, you know, kind of a Cole Beasley-esque type of, you know, Mm -hmm. guy in the slot and and hey, that works. You know, a lot of these, these smaller kind of, you know, scat receivers, I guess I'll say, you know, kind of step into that role very well. Um, I like Davis. I think he's a guy, you know, let's remember how good the UCF program was for a period of time. They kind of, you know, stopped getting the spotlight after, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a couple year run, but. This is a guy who knows how to win, went to a, a very good program, and, and was very productive in college. And I think that it's a player that you, know, you look at as maybe an underrated receiver in this draft. Maybe if you didn't have the type of, of wide receiver talent, this is a guy that goes a little bit higher in mm-hmm. other drafts as well. I mean, I think you can make that case probably for a number of receivers in this draft that fell into the mid-rounds where in a different draft year without this type of talent. We're talking more about them. We're talking up their skills rather than talking down their skills because Mm -hmm. we're comparing them to the guys that are the top-end guys in this league. So, you know, I think the jury's out in terms of obviously long-term prospect. But, you know, you take a a shot at at 128 in the fourth round on a guy that I think could step in and become a a number three receiver for that team and step into that role. I I like the pick. I think it's a value pick um, at that point. Again, when you go wide receiver in this draft, in the fourth round, you're getting a good player. It's not mm-hmm. like in years past where, you know, you may as well just look at a different position because you're just kind of grasping at straws. I think you're getting guys that had productive college careers that also can translate to the pro game in this mid-round. I think we're going to see that, you know, look a couple of years down the road. It'll be interesting to see some of these third, fourth round receivers that carve out their own mm-hmm. career in the NFL that maybe just got overlooked because they didn't have the hype going into the draft. So yeah, I, it's I like not to pick even- them.
0: Not even the hype, it's just, as you said it before, like they're being compared to Jerry Judy and CD lamb and, and, you know, Henry Ruggs, who coming out people were two years ago. People are like, watch out. These guys are going to be top 10, top 15 picks. And, uh, two of them end up being top 15 picks. One of them ends up dropping a little bit, but it's, you know, it's, it's just incredible. If you can find these wide receivers in the fourth round, you're paying them practically $0. And in a couple of years, you're going to have to give Josh Allen his extension. Because he's a quarterback, he's going to make $25, $30 million, whatever it ends up being. So having these low-cost guys, I think, is very important. Um, I'll I'll quickly go over some of these lower picks, and then obviously we're going to talk about Jake Fromm. He was picked in the fifth round, 167 Mm -hmm. overall, quarterback out of Georgia. If he came out after his freshman year, he probably would have been a first-round pick, which is kind of ironic how that works. Uh, We then, in the sixth round, they have a couple picks. Tyler Bass, kicker out of Georgia Southern. Uh, two hundred seven. Another wide receiver, Isaiah Hodges, out of Oregon State, and two thirty nine overall, seventh round, Dane Jackson, cornerback out of Pittsburgh. Uh, I think obviously the one we need to talk about is Jake Fromm. Mm-hmm. And from a skill set standpoint, it makes zero sense to me. So I'm going to need you to explain this because he is the prototypical pocket quarterback. Doesn't really have a big arm. Doesn't really like, he does all the things he needs to. Nothing you know doesn't super excel at, at a lot of things. I'd say. I mean, I think. He's good, not great, to say the best. Um, and then you have Josh Allen, who has the biggest arm that humanity has ever seen, probably. It's a rocket ship. Uh, you know, the fact that he runs around, he does everything that's mobile. He runs, he jumps, he does whatever necessary. Why the heck would they go with a quarterback in a that's going to be a backup, backup for them for four years? Hopefully, that's the goal, right? You're picking somebody that will be a backup and not see the field. Mm-hmm. Why the heck would they go with someone that's almost the complete opposite? You build your whole team around one guy, you're then going to have to change it all if anything does happen to him. I just don't understand it.
1: I, I think it was just at a point in the draft where at 167, people had, I know that people have questions about Jake Fromm's arm and his ability to move outside the pocket. There were some people that didn't really like him very much. I, I'm one that does like Jake Fromm, and I'm not saying that he's going to all of a sudden become an NFL starting quarterback, mm-hmm. but I also am saying that you're talking about a guy that is extremely humble, he's a student of the game. You know, he's been well tracked from some of the different documentaries that have Mm -hmm. showcased him and, you know, his his abilities and his his personality as a human. Uh, I think when let's remember Josh Allen, when he went to Buffalo and the draft day, you know, someone who's extremely outspoken, he's, you know, this wild gunslinger, you know, kind of, you know, I feel like he wanted to be Brett Favre when he started talking there and just kind of, you know, shooting off and hey, why not if the the kid has that bravado then why not uh jake Fromm's a guy that's guys to be much more on the humble mm-hmm. side of things yeah. so i think you're getting a, a guy at 167 that probably could have gone earlier i was actually surprised that new england didn't look at him at 159 i just thought that new england and jake Fromm, to me i, I know you talked about jacob eason again another great pick for them i thought between the two they would have picked one of them uh, between the fourth and fifth rounds they just chose not to so, obviously, they, they must not have felt like the value was there. But a guy like Jake from very different style from Josh Allen. But a winner from Georgia, a guy that is a very intelligent quarterback, mm-hmm. understands the game. I think he'll be a very good backup, if nothing else, to just, you know, Josh Allen's a young guy. We know his ability from an arm strength perspective. We know how much he can he can run with the ball too. He's extremely athletic. I think Jake Fromm is someone who can almost help work with him from more of the mental side of the game too. Maybe help you know in terms of decision making. I mean, I think Josh Fromm or Jake Fromm has a, a lot to bring to the table when it comes to his ability to read the field and understand mm-hmm. the game. That's that's how he was such a good yeah. quarterback in Georgia. We know his arm strength isn't isn't not great. And that's why he'll never be a a true NFL starting quarterback. That's going to make a difference, but there's something to be said for the way he was able to carve out a career and beat out some very good recruits at Georgia too, to take over that job. I think that goes to speak to his ability to to understand the game. I think that's going to help Josh Allen, his development.
0: That's exactly why Justin Fields is at o- uh, Ohio State now, right? Because he couldn't, I mean, Jake Fromm beat him out. I thought it was very weird, that whole situation. Anyway, but Jake Fromm comes in as a true freshman, if I'm not mistaken, because Jacob Beeson gets hurt. He ends up going to Washington, so Jake Fromm takes over. Obviously, they go to the championship game, national championship game. They lose in just the most incredible possible fashion that you could lose in um, to another true freshman quarterback in Tua, who we'll actually get to talk <laughs> about in a little bit. But it's just, you know, his career is crazy. I, never, I didn't, you know, with how people thought he was going to fall in the draft. I didn't understand why he came out. It turns out I'm assuming they have another quarterback that's coming in. That's ready. And I don't think Kirby's going to say, yeah, we'll we'll roll with you one more time. Nope. We're, we're going to go with a better quarterback. So we'll see how it goes, but I don't know, man, I thought he'd go a little bit higher. So overall for the, um, for the bills, I mean, especially those first two, first three, first four picks, essentially, it seems like you liked, like including it all. How do you feel they did, um, in terms of what they lost, especially not being too, too much, in terms of what they retained and, and you know what the outlook is for the upcoming season,
1: yeah, I, I like the outlook for them. Um, you know, quick note on Tyler Bass: I just saw a video online. He, while standing still, kicked a fifty-yard field goal. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen that video. They should check it out. He. Literally standing still, kicked a 50-yard field goal. It was unbelievable. Um, and then you get a guy named Dane Jackson, extremely um, physical, uh, felt like he was always slighted at Pitt. You know, they kind of – that younger brother to Penn State. I mm-hmm. got to see him in the pit penn State last time they played. Um, it, it, that guy can – he's scrappy. I'll put it that way. And I think that's a great way to describe this team. I think that's the way that they will scrap their way to finally an a- AFC East divisional championship over New England is to just claw their way there. I think that when you look at this team, they're close. I think that they're very close. I think they have a very strong defense and I think that they're, they're on their way. Um, they have a young quarterback who is their guy. They added Stefan Diggs, huge move to the mm-hmm. offense. Zach Moss will complement Singletary very well. And then on the defensive end, Empaneza is just going to step in. I mean, it just, I think that this team is, uh, is, is on the upward trend. And it wouldn't shock me if we come down to the end of the the season and they have a shot to take the crown from new England.
0: I would, uh, I'd be, I'd ride that bandwagon with them. Believe me, I won't jump through tables, but man, I'm going to be rooting for them. (laughs) I think it's great. You know, I think again, you know what they were able to do. I think the craziest part is, you know, even though bringing in Stefan Diggs, their biggest gain is Tom Brady's not there anymore. I think that's, you know, that's been their kryptonite. I mean, that's been the whole division's kryptonite. Now I think it's, it's that mental aspect too, of knowing like, okay, we actually have a chance now after 10, after 15 years of the same bullshit now finally saying, okay, it's at least a little different, you know, one of those guys, the the main guy will not be there anymore. So let's see what happens. And I think that could be a huge, huge component of it as well. And, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, they made the playoffs last year too. So hopefully work up that momentum. So moving on to the dolphins, um, this one, they did a lot. They did a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, gaining yeah. players. They brought in Byron Jones to a huge contract. They brought him Kyle Van Noy to a relatively big deal. Eric flowers is somehow still in the league, let alone got a three year, $30 million deal. Uh, Emmanuel Agba, um, who, uh, I don't actually really know Jordan Howard. Okay. That's, that's another name that I know. I mean, they just, they spent big and they spent big on defense. Um, one thing we know about football is you don't win through free agency. The team that wins free agency usually doesn't pan out. Um, the mm-hmm. Giants did that one year and they were good for a year and then they just got awful. And then their cap situation was just a mess for th- another three years. So it usually doesn't work out. Give me both sides of the argument. Do you think, well, personally, do you think it will work out with the players that they brought in and the culture that they're bringing? And, you know, how do you feel like the the players they brought in, how they'll fit into the system there and down in miami
1: you know it's very interesting of brian flores what they completely overhauled this team i mean mm-hmm. we saw them just sell away anyone who teams wanted they just to buy. gave
0: away minka fitzpatrick he's fantastic um, they just gave him away whatever here you know, give us a first round pick yep. back like okay whatever who who says no
1: unbelievable between him you know trading away tonsil to, to houston i mean they just offloaded guys that were major building blocks but it just, it wasn't, I guess the right fit. I mean, and I know you look at teams that constantly rebuild and it's always never the right fit, mm-hmm. but you know, at the same time, if you have a guy that doesn't want to be there and isn't going to buy in, then that's fine. Then it's time for him to to move on, get what you can for him and, you know, just hope that you're able to take that return and turn it into something. I think Brian Flores, I, I like him a lot. I think that, you know, it was a big jump for him, you know, taking over that role, leaving new England. Um, I think with some seasoning and with some time, I think that'll help him come along as well. And I think that you look at Miami and what they did in the draft. I like what they did in the draft. I like what they did in in free agency, just from the sheer fact that, again, teams that win free agency don't win football games, Mm -hmm. but they're trying to also develop a new identity. So some of the guys you bring in like a a Gruget Hill kind of guy on a one-year deal Played in Philly, very you know underrated special teams linebacker. Bringing him in, Emmanuel Agba, another guy, two year deal. Again, underrated in his abilities, with just a tremendous program, as well as Kyle Van Noy. We already talked about him. Mm-hmm. Byron Jones was the huge splash yeah. for them in the secondary. Um, actually, I think they have a very strong secondary. So when you look at this team lining up defensively, they actually got a lot better. I mean, I think when you look at those two and Byron Jones, Calvin, Noy, interesting to see, but if anyone could figure him out, I think Brian Flores will be that guy. I just like, I'd be surprised if a guy that knows him that well, can't utilize him to the mm-hmm. best of his abilities. Um, I mean, you look, they went very heavy on the defensive side of the football in free agency. So, you know, when you look at them and then they added more in the draft in the first round as well, late first round pick in the secondary, I think this is a team that is trying to create their new identity. They see a turning of the tide in the AFC East. They tried to get younger very quickly through the draft in terms of accruing so many draft picks. And then they tried to make some impact moves in free agency they're not all going to pay off, but you know, Byron Jones can step in be that guy, that number one corner. And Mm -hmm. then Kyle Van Noy can be that leader, maybe more of a silent leader on the defensive side of the ball. Then I think you have two guys there that'll be there for next four to five years that are going to really help solidify things. So,
0: and it's, uh, you know, I'm again, the dolphins are another one of those teams. So my mom actually is a big dolphins fan. So I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. Um, you know, one of my good buddies, also a big dolphins fan. So I'm always rooting for him as well. And it's just one of those things, as you said, it's, it's always never the right time. And you know what that gets you just perpetual, just <laughs> perpetual mediocrity and, you know, making the playoffs occasionally not doing anything with it. The one or two times that you do. And then just being in this, like kind of the, the, the worst place to ever be that treadmill of you know mediocrity yep. where you're always, okay, we're six and 10 this year. So you have a, top eight pick, I guess you're not getting a quarterback with a top eight pick. Okay. And you, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where you're just never bad enough and you're clearly never good enough to do anything with it. So I think the dolphins did the right thing and actually, re- I guess trying to be bad. I mean, they traded away tonsil and yeah, I mean, everyone was making, making the fact they're like, Oh, they need, now they need a left tackle. How ironic, but they got two firsts and two seconds for the guy, even if they needed a left tackle, I'm sure they're letting him go. And then he signs this monster, like three year, $65 million deal. Got to give it to bill O'Brien on that one. Um <laughs> And so it's just, you know, yeah, they needed a left tackle, but they didn't need a left tackle for two like two first round picks, two second round picks does not come easy. So in the first seventy picks, they had six. They almost had 10% of the first 70 picks or 60 picks, whatever it is, which is ridiculous. That does not happen. I mean, three first round picks, two seconds, and a third is just insane. Um, as we said, you know, who they brought in, they retained a couple guys of note, uh, Zach Siler, maybe you can say that. Vince Beagle, a couple guys. Everyone else is just really on. One-year deals, or like even the other Isaiah Ford on a four-year deal, I don't think is for that much money. So it's one of those like, hey. And I think during the season they started looking around at guys that actually bought in, such as uh, Eric Rowe, if I'm not mistaken. They gave him a couple years at a really small amount of money, so that way they can build build this thing the right way, as uh, you know, a, a true Bill Belichick disciple did. And they didn't really lose anybody because they traded them all away before they could lose them. I think so. I think that's a uh, of note as well. But moving into the draft, I mean. It's just ridiculous. I mean, they were able to get potentially the best quarterback off the board at five. At 18, they got one of the best offensive tackles. I'd say what, out out of that second tier of offensive tackles, one of the best ones. I can't say the guy they got out of Auburn with the number 30th overall pick, but they, you know, highly thought of him. Second round, they're going with another guard. They're getting defensive tackles. They're getting safeties. They're literally getting everything they need in those first, you know, six or seven picks. And then they just have so many more after that. So I guess we'll start at the top. I mean, Tua, he would have been the first round pick two years ago. He would have been the first pick overall one year ago, and he gets hurt and now is able to drop all the way to five so the Dolphins can just sit and scoop him up. They didn't have to totally tank for what they got. They had those other two first round picks. I mean, just the first round, how did you feel it went?
1: Yeah, I, I liked obviously what they did in the first round, right? I mean, you get two at five. Um, good for them holding where they were too.
0: I really wanted somebody to trade with the Giants, man. Just give me, just give me like an extra fourth. I don't care. It would have been good, but nope, nothing.
1: You know, and obviously those calls were out there, right? And we know that that was being discussed constantly. Um, Good for Miami to just hold where they were at five. Mm -hmm. And I think they have a a tremendous talent. Obviously dropped to them. Biggest thing, of course, is the red flags on the injury history. Uh, I think the biggest thing he's going to have to learn is self-preservation. Mm-hmm when to give up on a play, you know, and not necessarily give up, but just throw the ball away, you know, just yeah. don't try and do too much to it. Um, you know, obviously he's had his, his share of injuries. We know that. However, if healthy, you know, I know that the year that Joe Burrow had, but given the career to had, mm-hmm. if he was healthy and didn't have the injury history, I mean, you're telling me that he wouldn't have gone one if, if he didn't have that, that hip yeah. injury, even, even the ankle injuries and everything else in there. Without the hip injury, if he finished the year out, one you might have seen a different result at the end of the mm-hmm. season. But if he wasn't hurt, I just I find it hard to believe his his overall package wouldn't have trumped that. Um, mm-hmm. So with that said, you got a guy at five that could have maybe gone one if he was healthy. Is he healthy now? Okay, well thanks to a lot of one of the thing, the, a lot of things that happened, he couldn't get down to Miami for that mm-hmm. visit. They tried to get him down there the night before the the kind of lockdown uh, took place. He wasn't able to get down there. So they also were doing it based off of just knowledge they had. So they took a little bit of a risk there uh, just because they weren't hundred percent certain. However, the reward is extremely high for a guy mm-hmm. like him. Uh, very unique to a lefty thrower in the league. It just one, it makes every other team game plan differently because mm-hmm. you just don't have that, especially his ability. I mean, he's an extremely accurate quarterback. He's someone who can. You know, bomb the ball down the field, but I think his accuracy was the thing that really was the the biggest uh, linchpin in, in terms of his ability to just step into the pro level, even despite the fact he's not you know extremely tall quarterback. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you look at what he can do accuracy wise, and um, I love what they did there. Austin Jackson, you know, obviously from from USC. I mean, you you bring a tackle in that you know, it's ironic because you have a different blind side for Tua on yeah. being a lefty, but um I, I like Austin Jackson a lot. I think he was a, a very good pickup. I mean, you can't go wrong in this draft that, that big first round group of offensive tackles, you know, it, obviously they're maybe not everyone works out, but extreme, I mean, next to wide receiver, I think O tackle is probably the strongest group when mm. you look at the, the early round here. So, um, and then they have a very interesting pick very late in the first round. It's, you know, not a, Tall cornerback, but extremely athletic. Um, I'll try and pronounce his name, Noah Igbenogheni, uh, uh, out of. Uh, I
0: will uh, make sure to clip that one out so that we can use that along the internet. How's that sound?
1: I'll, I'll try my best here. I was trying to follow pronunciation on. You're him, perfect. But, um, You're perfect. But you know what's very interesting is someone who went to Auburn. He started actually on offen- the offensive side of the ball, so he's he's going to have to learn the defensive side more. You know, he transitioned over. His mom was a uh, two-time uh, Olympic track athlete from nigeria so when you look at bloodlines you know, a lot of times you look at football bloodlines mm-hmm. but let's just look at the athletic background I mean, you're yeah. talking about someone who is a top 25 wide receiver nationally as a recruit ends up becoming a cornerback at a power sec program has bloodlines that he was one of the the best track runners in the country when he was in high school too i think he actually broke the alabama state record um in uh in one of the jumps uh, and was just a a phenomenal athlete so i think late in the first round you get a high uh value athlete Mm -hmm. that if he can develop you know and and obviously you have a guy byron jones now who's coming in more your veteran guy maybe take the kid under his wing um you know you think you have a very good secondary already you know this kid could be someone who really develops into uh, a top athletic talent and you know it's Mm -hmm you know, you you can't teach some of those things. Right. And that's what a lot of teams look like is that, you know, when you can't teach that you, you draft it and you try and teach, right. You try and just teach them Mm -hmm. how to play games. So, uh, three first round, you can't, you can't. can't And I'll tell you, that's a, a very, very productive, uh, first round. And obviously it kept continuing right into the second and into the third.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially with, um, you know, the, the, the three most important positions, quarterback, Offensive line and defensive pass rush tackle or or defensive end edge rush would be most people would say probably in that order you want to you need a good quarterback you need someone that can then make sure that quarterback doesn't get touched and then you kind of want somebody that can get to the other quarterback after that with the ability uh, to grab a cornerback as well in the first round. That's in my opinion, and most people's opinion. I, don't, I think I'm stealing this from a lot of people, but you need then someone to make sure that the quarterback can't throw the ball to anybody, right? Like it's it's all obviously based around the quarterback and what they do now. And it's just one of those things where they got three players that they believed were at the perfect spots for their board in three of the four most important positions in football. That again, three first round picks rarely, rarely ever happens. And if they th- they can hit on two of these three, one obviously needing to be Tua. This, no matter what, will be a successful draft for them. Um, then, as you said, you add everything in after that. This, in the second round, 39th overall, they got a uh, guard out of Louisiana, not University, uh, I think Louisiana Tech, if I'm not mistaken. And then 56 overall, they got Raquan Davis, defensive tackle out of Alabama. Again, you know, there's your, there's your blue blood, there's your defensive line um, help. How how do you think these two guys, and why did they go with a guard out of Louisiana when there was some other people definitely still on the board?
1: I, I think at that point, it's just um you know every team has their own board and how they yeah, value players obviously and when you get smaller school guys you always kind of question that when they go off the board especially early um, especially early in the second round it's like okay what about him really stuck out i think you look at what they've done they got power five you know usc in austin jackson uh they go later with uh solomon uh, kinley guard out of georgia again mm-hmm. power five robert hunt you know, one of those guys, you look at offensive linemen around the league, you always end up finding these smaller program guys that just somehow, you know, whether they just weren't big enough coming out of high school, they just were overshadowed, didn't find a way to a big program, but found a way to, to be very productive. Guard early in the second round, interesting decision. But you know what? When a team is trying to rebuild and they have Tua, well, you go Jackson, Hunt, Kinley, you know, two guards and a tackle. I mean, you can't fault them for trying to go mm-hmm. heavy on the offensive line Absolutely. and buying in on these guys, and you know, doing it all in the same draft. You get your quarterback that develops a bit of a bond there as well. So clearly, they redid their their entire line when you look at two guards and a tackle all going in the first four rounds. I mean, that's significant. So I I like um I just like the decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, like with Hunt, that just that's a pick that they just. That's a personal choice coming from Miami yeah. that they decide that he was their guy. Uh, but if they're confident and comfortable with him, then that's that's all right. Then go with him and make him that guy, you know, and build that line because your your job right now is to protect Tua and make sure he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, this team will compete. And they obviously, you know, were very uh, adamant in in doing so after mm-hmm. they drafted him. So I like that. Uh, I really like the the Raquan Davis pick. I think that. He's a guy that, you know, falling to 56, defensive tackle out of Alabama, tremendous recruit going to Alabama. Maybe we got overshadowed from some of the other stud players mm-hmm. in that defensive line and that front seven and that just team in general over the last couple of years. I think he's a guy that is going to immediately step in, be an impact player. I think they got a really good one in the second round. I, I would be uh, surprised, actually, if he didn't develop into a mm-hmm. solid starter for, for Miami there.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, two Alabama players in their first five picks, but they're all—it's in their first fifty-six overall. It's just insane to me that they got this much of a haul. Again, they had to give up Minka Fitzpatrick, they had to give up Laramie Tunsil uh, to get all of this. But again, if if this is not the way to rebuild on the fly, and you know, as you were talking about the Patriots before, it's a retool. Well, it's still a rebuild for Miami because they were coming from nothing. But I mean, I, I completely agree with you really, um, investing in the offensive line because to, uh, especially with being injury prone, but just in general, I am a big believer that if you have a good offensive line, you're going to have a good team. That's just kind of how it works. Either you will be able to run the ball or the receivers will be able to get open. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, so I am really curious moving on uh safety out of Texas, Brandon Jones. I mean, first question I have for you, Jared is Texas back.
1: You know, it, it. They looked like they were back for a time, right? For a minute, I mean, there was, yeah. A, there was a minute when he thought, "Oh man, Texas is legit again." And then, you know,
0: no, they were a couple
1: games later, and all of a sudden they not were
0: not. What What do, what do um, you know about this gentleman uh, safety out of Texas? Uh, and and how does he fit? I mean, they went cornerback. They picked up a cornerback in in free agency again. Kind of now building. They built the offensive line. Now it looks like they're trying to build the back end of the defense as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we talked about their secondary writing. They get a little deeper here picking him. You know, this was, let, let's remember, Texas had tried, uh, tried to kind of put the mantra out that they were mm-hmm. DBU, right? Yeah. You know, and you get Earl Thomas and you get guys out there with some swagger. And, you know, all of a sudden, a DB coming out of Texas is highly regarded. You know, I think Brandon Jones, a guy that flew underneath the radar a bit um, in terms of, you know, kind of big program safety, is entering this draft. Obviously, you have some of the bigger names that, you know, deservedly so went Mm. ahead of him, but, you know, getting a pick 70, um, I think you're getting a guy that, you know, is nonetheless, I mean, Texas, even though they're not back, there's still a program that still develops guys that that can become productive Mm, pros. I don't know what's going on, like why their program can't find a way to get back on track at a college level, but they still recruit very well and they still have very good players come through their program. So I, I think Brandon Jones will be an interesting, um, pick for Miami in terms of where he fits into the picture. He's mm. obviously not an immediate plug and play and, and you wouldn't expect that at, at pick 70 anyway. But a guy that provides some some depth to what's already a good secondary. And I I think that at that point in the draft and what the needs have already addressed, um, you know, you give up a, a Minka Fitzpatrick and it's like, you know what, let's get two guys to try and replace mm. what he could do for the team. And, you know, you, you already Kind of take a shot yeah, right. here with, uh, you know, with a, a cornerback in the first round. Um, they come back around in the in the third with Jones. So um, interesting pick. You know, again, uh, you look at what that college has produced in the the defensive back, mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard to ignore what they've done. So um, just, you know, not a, a big-name guy coming out of the program. But nonetheless, I think someone that could provide some depth to that, that team. in Third round, why not?
0: Exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll be very honest. I don't know too, too much about the depth of safety there at, um, in Miami, but I think again, it's just, it's a position that is coveted. It's a position uh, that is useful. Now, do, uh, uh, considering him coming out of Texas, was he one of the safeties that also lined up in the corner, you know, lined up in slot and he would line up in all these other places, maybe Rod Do you know anything about that, about him? Or is he more of just like a more prototypical free or strong safety in that regard?
1: I, I think that you're seeing more versatility just across the board in, in the game yeah. with how safety, I mean, even like the, uh, just as an example, even at the the pro level, you have a guy that, you know, may not work out, but a guy like Jalen Mills, who was mm-hmm. a cornerback LSU guy, kind of that corner safety tweener. Uh, he never played safety, but was able to exude enough to actually, now he's going to line up at, at safety for the Eagles this year. Mm-hmm. So I think you you see that across the level now where, Uh, cornerbacks are getting bigger safeties are, you know, they're not the, um, the type of safety maybe you would think about, you know, from kind of the Ed Reed type of days. Mm -hmm. I think Jamal Adams is kind of a rare breed now. Uh, and and we'll touch on him a little bit, but, um, we we want to look at a a Brandon Jones guy. I mean, I, I think that you know, in order to make it in the league, if you're not highly touted coming out of, in, in the secondary, you have to be flexible to move around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see safety linebacker hybrids. Um, I don't think he's big enough to, to fill into that role. So it's, you know, are, are you athletic enough and fast enough to step into a, a corner position, play a hybrid safety position? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I think, you know, jury will be out in terms of, of that mm-hmm. pick, but at the end of the day, I mean, when you, you look at, um, you know, power five safety from a program that's churned out some very good defensive backs, you know, and, and you have as many picks as Miami has. So maybe you can, you know, take a little bit of a risk reward there. You know, then you take your shots when you feel like you can.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah i completely agree i think it's uh you know it's one of those you figure it out obviously he was worth the pick i think you know he wasn't too much of a uh, a reach uh, in any regards it sounded like that was around the time he should have went maybe a little earlier maybe a little later but if they thought as you said their big board uh displayed it that's what they went with and really it's just best player available for miami and, and it just turns out the best players are all at the most uh the biggest positions of need, as you said, we already talked about Solomon Kinney, out of Georgia, guard with their fourth round pick, 111 overall, uh, number 154 overall. Jason Strobridge, defensive end out of North Carolina, number 15- nine one sixty-four overall, so still in the fifth round. Curtis Weaver, outside linebacker out of Boise State. So it seems like again now they're going more pass rush again. How who, how do you think these two guys will end up fitting in that? Brian Flores, kind of, of the Bill Belichick mold of, what do you do well and how can I make you do it?
1: Yeah, I I like... Um I, I mean, I like what Miami did overall, and I really like what they did here late. I think Jason Strobridge is a guy that you might hear more of as a fifth-round pick. I think he's someone actually that can develop into a productive pro, um, mm-hmm. especially the Bill Belichick school of defense. Brian Flores earned a, a master's, if not a PhD, while he was there, and now mm-hmm. he's moving on to a place in which he can actually take his own New England-type players mm-hmm. and mold them into that defense. You get two of those: Strobridge and Weaver. I actually I think Weaver uh, could have gone even a little. Sooner than when he went, um, you know. You look at DN outside linebacker, kind of in both types of roles, can maybe play a little bit on, on both sides of that. Um, you know, when, when you look at what the game is kind of showing you from a a DN and off mm-hmm. a, outside linebacker, depending on on how you line these guys up. But mm-hmm. I like both of those picks. I, I really think that Strobridge is someone that, uh, as well as Weaver, were kind of underrated. Um, Maybe just because North Carolina wasn't a very prolific program, mm-hmm. uh, Curtis Weaver, uh, Boise State seems to send guys to the pros, and people just continue to ignore the fact that they actually develop good talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you look at the track record from that team, and you know you, you still undervalue players that come out of there, but somehow these guys stick, and and mm-hmm. they're not big names by any means, but they're productive players. And I think exactly. in, in the fifth round, you have two guys that could make an impact for your team. I mean, in the fifth round, when you're finding that, I think that you, you have a very methodical approach to your draft. I like what they did there. Uh, I don't know about taking a long snapper in the sixth round. I don't understand that that as much, but other than that, I think they had a good draft.
0: Yeah. And I, I really love Malcolm Perry. I mean, I watch the Armenia game every single year. He's just, uh, he's a small dude. So I don't know if he'll actually pan out. Maybe this was, you know, again, they've had, they had so many picks at this point. This especially at one or two forty six. So I mean, we're nine away from the end, right? Two fifty five overall. Frigate. This guy deserves to be drafted for just what he's done. Do I think he does anything? No. I mean, we saw uh Keenan Reynolds, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago. Same guy out of Navy, just a little bit bigger. He hasn't really done anything. I still think. I think he was drafted by Baltimore. Same thing, seventh round. We'll see. I think it's cool. It's a nice story. I don't think anything's going to come of it. But uh, as you already said. Miami is is really on this rebuild. I think with what they've done in signings, they should be, if it was a normal year, I think they'd be a year away. We'll see what happens, especially with Tua and some of these offensive linemen, who pans out, who doesn't. Again, they most of their team they're bringing in is very young, and this is the worst time to do that, considering, as we spoke about before, there's really no off-season for young guys or really potentially could be an off-season in general. So we'll see what happens, but um, I, like you, think Miami did a pretty damn good job
1: i think so and just one final note with them because it wasn't on the players uh, acquired because it was during the draft Picking up Matt Breida, who's going to oh, yeah. step in mm-hmm. on the running back side. I know they picked up Jordan Howard, but I think Breida is going to make an impact at running back for them. And the question will be, will Devonte Parker be able to repeat his success this past year with Ryan Fitzpatrick this year, whether it's with Fitzpatrick to start or Tua, mm. I think if Parker has a big year and I think if Breida can really take over as more of the lead back rather than kind of the three headed monster, mm. who's a part of in San Fran, I think you might see that offense also be more productive this year too.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I forgot about that one. That was yeah. That was like one of those weird late like third days. Like, oh, what Matt Breida? Wasn't he like the starting running back in San Francisco? Then you remember it doesn't matter. They could put you or <laughs> I back there, and we could still probably run for two hundred fifty yards on the Packers. So it is what it is. But yeah, overall, I think they did great, and uh, um, you know, I'm I'm rooting for them. Uh, I think it's awesome. You know, if, if uh, they'll get their one win against New England, however it comes, it's just it's an inevitability, especially these last few years, and it's going to be real weird real real weird so i'm excited to see how it happens this year so under the last team the afc east we have the new york jets they brought in some players they let go of some other players i, I don't know the jets suck man they they're just like <laughs> always constantly in a bad position last year they let their gm make all the signings so, uh, you know draft all the draft picks and immediately fired him which makes zero sense that's just something a team that's con- consistently dysfunctional would do um they bring in george fant who Okay. Um. Whatever they bring in, Patrick on a wire. So well, okay. Also good. Brashad perriman I think it was more the offense than he was. I mean, I think he's good, not great. He pretty much just replaces Robbie Anderson anyway. I mean, of the players they brought in, of the players they retained, was there anything of note, uh, for you personally?
1: Uh, I. I mean, nothing significant. I think you look at the fact they're trying to their biggest thing is is trying to protect Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. The the only way this team gets any better is if he truly is the guy and you protect him. They mm-hmm. you we we'll talk about the draft picks. They went that way early of course. George Fant coming in, um actually kind of an underrated signing I like was Connor McGovern, um three year deal three year deal uh guard. I think he's he's a steady guard. Um and for a team that's been atrocious mm-hmm. in so many ways. Um, actually, I like that pickup. Uh, I think that he's someone that, you know, probably could have gone to a more competitive team and made an impact also. So for a team that is just really trying to, to find identity um, and protect Sam Darnold, actually a good pickup there. George Fant, we'll see. Um, yeah. And then, you know, but I think that's the, kind of the theme. Uh, you look at a lot of one-year deals. Um, I don't expect a lot of these to pan out, quite frankly. I think Perriman, just a you know, shot in the dark, like Mm -hmm. just hoping you catch lightning in a bottle. Uh, You lose Robbie Anderson, your most productive receiver. Um, Not that he was a star by any means, but, you know, he was also, you know, big part of your offense. and, And, you know, I think in an offense, it's rather inept to say the least. So the question is, you know, you go all in on Sam Darnold, right? He's your guy. You build an offensive line around him. You made a significant move to try and get him a star running back juries out if that's going to truly pan out at the end of the mm-hmm. day i think a lot of people are are starting to get on the other side of that where it's maybe not so so uh you know yeah. don't pay and, running backs and, don't <laughs> pay <laughs>
0: running backs that's what it comes down to
1: so I, I think that that's uh you know what what they're trying to do here what they're trying to accomplish is a line for for bell to run behind to protect sam darnold and then they build out from there i think that was their approach We'll see how it pans out. They retained a lot of guys as well on short-term mm-hmm. deals, um, so they're trying to go with the group they have. Adam Gase as uh, as head coach, uh, you know, didn't really work in in Miami. I don't know why they they would think it would work so much in New York, but they always do odd front office mm-hmm. related and coaching related decisions in New York, and and I and I always kind of scratch my head at those. So
0: always. Always. It makes no sense. The Jets are terrible. They're always going to be terrible if they keep doing stupid things. Um, and it just, it is what it is, man. I don't really get it. I mean, they have no wide receivers, so they bring in Perryman on a one-year deal. So I, I understand the need there. Offensive line is obviously necessary, as we've been talking about this whole time, you know, what the Bills do in their front seven, what the Patriots do, and just being smarter than everyone with Brian Flores looking like he's building this monster of a defense now. You have to bring an offensive lineman and they go get George Fant, right? Like it's, it's just one of those things. Like, of course, this is what the jets are going to do. Obviously they did start to, um, look at some of these things within the draft. So first round 11 overall, Makai Beckton, he could have went as high as four to the giants. Uh, he could have went as low as, you know, mid to late first round. It made sense that he went to the jets at 11. Um, I was of all the, that top tier of a lime, lineman. The one I want the Giants to pick the least was Mikai Becton after doing some reading on him and just kind of seeing that he doesn't, I mean, I think he had 70 true pass blocking um, plays last year. Total in like almost 800 snaps or 700 something snaps. So like, I don't know. Like it's obviously a product of the offense. It's intangibles or I'm sorry. His attributes are insane. Obviously a dude that's 365 that runs like a five, one is terrifying. But I mean, how do you feel about him and, and, I mean, is he going to be just another Eric Flowers, just a big dude that turns out he's not very good?
1: I And I believe that he was the the highest drafted offensive lineman by the Jets since the Brickshaw Ferguson. Yep. Um, and you think back, and, you know, Mekhi Becton has all of the attributes in the world. He's a mountain of a man. He is terrifyingly fast for someone who's that big. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, think about him, like, pulling outside to help out on a, on a stretch running play and like your defensive back and you see that guy coming after you, you just don't want to be anywhere
0: near the ball down. Yeah.
1: Now with that said, you, as you said, when it comes to a, uh, to the pass protection, that's the question they need to protect Sam Darnold. If Mm -hmm. if Sam Darnold can't get off the ground here in New York, then they're just back to ground zero one more time and Mm -hmm. just continuously just a disaster. Uh, I personally, in my opinion, think that the the more steady pick I mean Becton has tremendous potential but it's also you know boomer bust and I say that at 11 when you're talking about a draft that had so many mm-hmm. good offensive tackles you know because if you're the team that drafts the guy that doesn't work out or doesn't work out with you then it looks very bad when you mm-hmm. look back at the draft yeah. that's why I mean that he's obviously a tremendous prospect and, and I think he obviously could have gone even higher uh personally they pass on a guy like Wurfs again, another Iowa guy. I know I was on Epineza mm-hmm. earlier, you know, but Big Ten lineman on both sides of the ball. They a lot of them have productive careers in the pros, and not saying that that's the only reason why. I just look at Wurfs. You know, you look at a guy that has put together a full package in college of his abilities. I think back then you look more at the potential, whereas Wurfs may not be as sexy when mm-hmm. you look at it. You know, if you're going to compare the two, but I also think that. He's gonna be a, a more steady pro, um, or at least coming in from day one, will mm. be a guy that is gonna be able to to plug in, is gonna understand and, and be able just to to step right in um a little more than Beckton, who maybe is a little more on the project side if you just were to look at the two of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's why, like again, you wanna protect your quarterback. You you probably wanna go with the more sure thing. Now, maybe they thought Becton was the more sure thing. I I don't maybe. know, but It's, uh, it's just, it's crazy to me that they're, you know, poor Sam Tarnold, man. Like he was, (laughs) you know, after that Penn state game, I mean, I watched that entire game. That thing was nuts. The Rose bowl from a few years back, his true sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken, that game was insane. He was a monster in that game, doing everything he could. And he kind of sucked the next year. He didn't suck. He just wasn't great. And he's kind of every year, just, it seems like, okay, maybe, maybe next year, maybe next year. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens with him. Obviously not a Jets fan, but like, it's nice to see competent play in any capacity i mean the two new york teams have pretty much been out of it from week four in the last (laughs) three seasons it's been pretty boring here in new york considering football is so big and we have multiple teams and they're both just consistently terrible at least the last few years so they did try and help him again second round 59 overall denzel mims wide receiver out of baylor a lot of people thought he might go a little bit higher I know Justin hates him. I don't know how you feel about him. Uh, Justin, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Justin was not a huge fan of him. He's a big guy. He catches the ball, but what else? I mean, I don't know. How do do you feel about him, and how do you think he fits into the offense?
1: Uh, I mean, I think he's a good pick at 59. You know, when when you're looking at the the draft, he's a guy that was in that second-tier mix um, when you were hearing a lot of, you know, between him... Um, you got the kid at Arizona state, uh, Rieger who went a little higher than maybe mm-hmm. people initially thought when you're, you're looking at things from, uh, you know, from TCU and, you know, you just kind of look at that second tier outside of that, that top, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: early first round group. Um, you know, Denzel Mims was a guy that a lot of people had also been talking about to Philadelphia, even at, at where they were picking in the first round. So I think that when, you have an opportunity to get a guy at 59 that again, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but in a different draft
2: Mm -hmm. year,
1: he would have been thought of higher. You know, you can, you can pick apart his game. I think he's a guy that at that point in the draft for a team that has truly no wide receiver weapons, lost Robbie Anderson. Why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Because who knows this guy, he may go in, may develop a great rapport with Sam Darnold. And at, at that point in the second round, you know, then take a look because that guy might have gone earlier in a different draft, you know, whether right or wrong, whether he worked out or not. But I think at that point, I think for the Jets who have no weapons and lost the only one they had at receiver, why not, you know, Mm -hmm. take the
0: pick yeah it makes sense again they needed a wide receiver I you know if he was the best one on their board again they you know do what they have to do so third round their first third round pick this one's from the Giants for Leonard Williams for whatever reason they pick Ashton Davis safety out of California I'm pretty sure you were pretty high on this guy I know Justin was at least I remember we again we watched this day together how do you feel about this guy and how do you think he fits into that Jets defense
1: yeah, I'd like this pick a lot. I think he was someone that a lot of people actually talked to about. One of the, if you were to look like one of the top 10 underrated guys entering mm-hmm. the draft, there were a few names out there. Um, ironically, Arnett, the, the defensive back from Ohio State, people thought was underrated and ended up going earlier than anyone even thought uh-huh. to Oakland, but, you know, or to lo- uh, yeah, you know, whatever, Las Vegas definitely. now, you know, the, the Raiders. That are, yeah. You know. Anyway, still always call him Oakland. Anyway point is that ashton davis falls into that group as well i think in the third round i i like this draft pick i think he's a guy that you know for at this point in the draft is a guy that can develop into a very productive safety i think is very underrated in his abilities in that position the question is what that team's going to end up doing with jamal adams clearly he's not happy there there's been a lot of talk about that of the the virtual uh Mm -hmm. you know team meetings and whatnot that he's choosing not to participate in and all of that. Uh, So, you know, I think good pick at that point too, if you're not sure what's going to happen with Jamal Adams, and if you're going to have to move on from him, at least you have a guy in Ashton Davis that I think actually could step in and is someone in the third round, really good value at safety.
0: Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good place. Uh, As you said, I mean, they, they got this extra third round pick, so they might as well do something with it. And their their third round pick. They picked Jabari Zeninga defensive end out of Florida. Very productive when he's on the field, but I don't think he's been on the field too, too much the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if he's good, if he, I mean, they picked what, J- J- uh, Josiah Polite out of Florida a couple of years in the third round, uh, a couple of years ago in the third round, they cut him, I think before preseason even ended. Uh, he was just a piece of junk though. How, I mean, I'm not comparing <laughs> Zeninga to him, but just in terms of just, uh, you know, full circle, um, how do you think he's going to end up fitting into this defensive line?
1: Well, he was the first of uh, three Picks out of the state of Florida. back to back gators getting taken by them. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting, you know, an interesting player because I think where they drafted him is probably about where people saw him going in the third mm-hmm. round. Um, trying to put together what they think he'll be as a pro compared to what he did in college, you know, production, lack thereof, lack of games played. I think there's just a lot of question marks in his game. When he puts it all together, could be a productive player off the end. I think mm-hmm. that there's no doubting his ability, his size, and and how he can play off that rush. I just don't know if he'll be able to put it together, and I don't know if a team like the Jets. In where they're at right now is the best team to help this guy put it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that if he went to a team that maybe had better
2: mm-hmm.
1: structure and he was able to uh, learn from a team that had just a you know better setup from a defensive line and defensive end perspective, maybe then you know you can look at his ability to produce a couple years down the road. Um, I think that with this team, I don't know if he'll be a productive player with the Jets. He might be a guy that you look a couple years down the road that ends up signing with a team as we started off talking Mm -hmm. about like a Danny Shelton going to New England because it's terrible in Cleveland. Um, This could be a guy that ends up maybe getting a second shot somewhere with a team that is able to utilize him if he can stay healthy, put it together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't see it up front right now.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, again, got to stay healthy, but I think that's for everybody um, in general. I mean, Sam Darnold has to stay healthier. The Jets can't win any games anyway. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, they had a few fourth round picks, and you, you alluded to a couple guys out of Florida in a row. Um, fourth round pick for 120, they picked LaMichael P. Ryan running back out of Florida, 125. They actually picked James Morgan quarterback out of Florida International in 129. So three picks relatively close to each other. Cameron Clark offensive tackle out of Charlotte. Of these fourth round picks, outside of the quarterback, because that that one's I want to talk a little bit about. How do you feel about Lamichael Piron and uh, Cameron Clark, offensive tackle out of Charlotte?
1: I think that Piron can um, can carve out a role on this offense mm-hmm. and in this type of NFL. I think that by looking at you know his ability, his speed is, is unquestioned. I mean, he's mm-hmm. someone that you get the ball in his hands and he can make things happen. Mm-hmm. This is a team that is very. Uh, very empty when it comes to the cupboard of athletes and people who can make a difference when the ball is in their hands. So why not? Good situation for him, uh, especially with what's going on at running back too. You have no idea what's going on with Bell. Like it just a lot of question marks there. This guy can can provide you a little bit of a juice out of the backfield. Um, I think good pick in the fourth round, a guy that maybe gives Darnold just a little bit of a different option. Um, you know, I don't know if he, you know, maybe be like a, uh, you know, Tariq Cohen kind of guy in terms of his mm-hmm. role and how he can help the team, but uh, no, no questioning his athletic ability and, and you know, how explosive he can be with the ball.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, so what about the, I mean, we saw with the jets, they lose Sam Darnold, Lomano, he's kissing too many cute girls in Hoboken. <laughs> I mean, honestly, kudos to him for that. But they lose him. They they have their backup, uh, Trevor Simeon, then immediately gets his ankle snapped in half, which was pretty sad and kind of gross, too. So that was unfortunate. Now you're working with a, an undrafted or like a sixth-round pick in Luke Falk, some nobody that wasn't even supposed to be on the team. He was their practice squad through and through. And now he's starting three games for you, four games for you. That's not supposed to happen. You're not going to win, as we said before. If you're you're not winning with your backup quarterback in the NFL nine times out of ten, you're definitely not winning with your third or third string running uh, quarterback. So I understand them picking a quarterback. I, I honestly have no idea who this guy is or what he's done. So I don't know what kind of insight you have on him. Um, but I mean, if you can tell me anything about James Morgan, uh, I'd love to hear it now.
1: I mean, I think that you, know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's not really... You know, what James Morgan can can do for this team now is just like having an insurance policy. Someone mm-hmm. who you can they obviously of all the the quarterbacks around this time, when you think about the Easons, the Fromms, you know, Morgan, you know, you had a couple other guys that came off the board later. Um, they obviously liked him enough from a package perspective to to take him at that point in the fourth round, saying, you know what, if things don't work out with Donald or Darnold, then you know, Morgan could develop and be a guy mm-hmm. that that we're more confident in than the guys that we had, as you after mentioned uh, those names of guys that probably will never start again in the league. Nope. Um, so I, I think that's just you know really kind of the the beginning and the end right now for James Morgan. Is you know will he see the field depends if Sam Darnold gets hurt. If mm-hmm. he sees the field,
0: it's a problem.
1: It's a problem for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing against this guy. I just. I think he's in insurance policy. And I think if, if things go south there with Darnold, then this team's gonna have to blow it up anyway. And mm-hmm. but frankly, then they just start looking at quarterback early in the draft in the next coming years. So um backup potential and uh, a guy that, you know, I think is uh, obviously proved enough to the team to, to at least have him take a shot at him in the mm-hmm. fourth round. But
0: and- you make a you make a good point. Eason's still on the board. Jake Fromm's still on the board. There's some students that came off in the second or seventh round that were you know obviously still on the board as well. The one thing I would say about those other two guys is they have starter potential. I think. I know Jake Fromm. No one thinks he has starter potential. Jake Eason definitely, in my opinion, has some sort of starter potential, and thankfully he landed in the a place with the Colts where they can at least look at him for a year. And if he's good roll with it. If Philip Rivers sucks mm-hmm. and they're bad, okay, and you can see him, what he looks like this year or maybe next year and see what happens, but do you think that went into it as well just to make sure that everyone knew like, hey, we're, we're taking a guy out of Florida International. Don't worry. Sam Darnold is 1,000% going to be our quarterback no matter what.
1: You know, it, it's ironic because um, that might have uh, been an underlying thought that no one wants to say. Um, it's also ironic that it comes from the bears through the Patriots, this
2: pick. Yeah.
1: And, and yet when we talk about quarterbacks, and the Patriots is like, of all the teams, mm-hmm. this pick somehow ends up in the jets. And they somehow take this guy that quite frankly, when you're talking about the best quarterbacks available, you were talking about those other bigger names and guys mm-hmm. that came out of bigger programs, had more success in the college level. And yet you're taking a guy in James Morgan that to your point is no threat.
0: Um, Weird, they still took him in the fourth round, but no, it's just kind of a thought that, like, you know, again, Jacob Beeson at least comes with some name. You know, you knew him in college. He played at Georgia, then he played at Washington for a little while on some good teams. Jacob Beeson, obviously, you know, the last three years they're always in that national conversation as one of the best four, five, six teams in the nation. I don't know. I didn't really realize Florida International was a school. I mean, like, I know it is because I watch too much college football. But let's be honest. Did you think a Florida International quarterback's coming off the board before Georgia? Before Washington again with some of these names. I don't know. It's weird that, you know, if he was there, they thought he was going to go that high. I don't know. It makes sense. They need the insurance, but it's just a very weird pick, in my opinion.
1: I agree. I think sometimes teams um, get a little too cute within Mm -hmm. themselves as well. And they try and almost fool other people in the draft by saying, hey, we're going to take this guy because, you know, he might be something and you didn't think he'd be anything. Uh, But sometimes it's just safer to go with the sure bet. Uh, yeah. this is just one of those moves by the jets. That is a classic
0: jets move jets and the jets, man. And then, so these last three picks, as I already said, Cameron Clark, offensive tackle out of Charlotte Bryce hall mm-hmm. cornerback out of Virginia. And then they took a punter in the sixth round. So I guess that's kind of cool of those two positional players, um, outside of the punter, of course, I mean, offensive tackle, as we said, they need to protect him. At least they went one offensive tackle early. Then they grab a guy in the fifth, fourth round. I mean, we'll see what happens again from the Patriots through the Ravens and the Patriots, which is kind of funny how that happens. Um, and then Bryce Hall is just straight up their their fifth round pick. Do you think either of these guys makes some sort of contribution specifically talking about the offensive tackle? Because I think that was the biggest position to need.
1: Yeah, I I think Cameron Clark is, um, it's an interesting player out of Charlotte, obviously not a, you know, by any means a powerhouse program. Right. But a guy that people do look as kind of a a project as well. Mm -hmm. So someone that, you know, why not at that point, especially in the fourth round, um, you know, you, you already have, you know, two picks before that they're all clustered together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's a guy they could have easily taken at one twenty if they were, it was the only fourth round pick they had. And they thought, you know, he's the guy we like him. Um, I, you know, it doesn't hurt again when you're talking about linemen in this league. They're they loaded up in terms of, of what they did with, you know, obviously the second tackle that they took plus what they did in free agency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why not in terms of that? Uh, Bryce, Bryce Hall is an interesting, you know, player coming out of Virginia. Virginia was uh, starting to really come on, you know, again, mm-hmm. another just like what we were talking about earlier with uh, the, the Dolphins first round pick out Auburn, Albram. Hall was again a receiver. He was actually from uh, not too far away, Bishop McDevitt. Very good high school program in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Ended up going to Virginia, uh, was someone that had a lot of success in in terms of his uh, high school career as a recruit going to a school like Virginia. Um, you know, he was someone that. Really uh, stepped right in as a true freshman, too. He was someone that Virginia thought of highly as a recruit. You know, Mm -hmm. I think had some offers to go elsewhere. Maybe didn't have the opportunity to play right away. So you're talking about someone also that, you know, played every year that he was in college. I know that he did have some some injuries uh, his senior year, especially tough for a kid that you know where he fell at that point, in the fifth round. Maybe if he didn't have that ankle injury, uh, he might have been someone who mm-hmm. you know went a little bit higher. So not a bad pick there, especially when you're talking about adding your secondary between him, Ashton Davis. I thought two good picks in the secondary. You know why not take a, a pick there with Hall and and see what you got there. I mean fifth round for a guy that was a, a in essence a, a four year starter at, at Virginia in the ACC. I mean not not a bad pick. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot there on uh, on man the punter out of Texas A and M. I mean hey. You
0: know, kicks uh, the ball there. Done. That's good. But no, I think again, you know, as we spoke about before, having a really good secondary is very important now with as much as they throw the ball. I mean, in that division specifically, I mean, I'm not gonna say too much. No one really knows what Jerry Sinem is. We'll see what happens with Tua. We know he can throw the ball in college, but we don't know what he's gonna do at the pro level. Josh Allen again has a rocket arm, but they're gonna run the ball more than anything. So I mean, maybe not as super, super necessary in that division, but you're still gonna run into all these other teams that throw the ball a just ton. And, you know, we'll see what happens. So overall, how did you think the Jets did um, with their draft, considering all the needs that they did have?
1: You know, I think they had uh, a decent draft, not great. Um, It's somewhere between decent and good, just Mm -hmm. because you addressed what you had to address. You know, you helped out on the line. You got a wide receiver because Sam Darnold's going to need weapons. You Mm -hmm. know, he's going to need someone. So Mims, you take him. You got P. Ryan, who goes in the fourth. I like that pick there. Um, question mark with Zuniga before him, but then Ashton Davis and then if Bryce Hall can prove as a fifth rounder to provide some value that'll also upgrade their draft. But Mm -hmm. uh, best pick of their draft, I'd say Ashton Davis in the third round.
0: I love it. Good stuff, man. And then, so we've gone through all three of these teams or all four of the teams. I forget that the jets are a team. So I apologize. Um, how do you think this division shakes out next year? I mean, it's going to be very weird. The Patriots aren't quite the Patriots anymore. Uh, they are, but they're not, I mean, Tom Brady's not there. He's half of that, that, um, you know, mothership that, that death star, the bills probably feeling themselves, especially after last year, the dolphins loading up on defense and now hoping that either Ryan Fitzpatrick can be capable next year or Tua can step in and actually be really good. And I think the Jets are still going to suck, so I'm not too worried about them. Of those other three teams, how do you think the, the they shake out in terms of who, who comes out as the division winner?
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to New England and Buffalo. New England, because it's still Bill Belichick, and it's still the Patriots. And until someone knocks them off the mountain, they're still the Kings, and they've been the Kings literally since we were in the uh, first decade of the 2000s. Yep. So... When you look at that, you're talking about a team that you can't say that they're going to be ursipped until they are, and, mm-hmm. and that's just the reality. Uh, do I think that Buffalo has a very good chance this year of doing so? I do. Um, I think what they did last year, I think if they build upon it, I can see them taking that next step. I see New England in a transitional period. Obviously, we talked about what their losses were. Um, the question is just going to be, because this is such a quarterback league, what they did mean, – this is the first time in 20 years we're talking mm-hmm. about this question – but quite frankly, you don't have a Bell Cal running back. Sonny Michel is is your guy, but he's not going to be a guy that you can all of a sudden turn this into a running running mm-hmm. team. So whoever is your quarterback, whether it's Jarrett Stidham, whether it's Hoyer, whether you go a different option, that person is going to have to lead your team to, to victory. And you also lost some pieces in the secondary. Three particular pieces I look at in the, in the two linebackers and Harmon in the back end mm-hmm. that are going to make a difference as well. So um, this is a team that I think is right now transitioning and their, uh, their arrow is pointing down right now where the bills is pointing up uh, Miami. I'll be interested to see what they do this year, mm-hmm. because if they buy in their team that, you know, can second half of the season start yeah. to, to creep up on some teams and maybe win some games where teams thought they can kind of, you know, oh, this is a, a, an easy win mm-hmm. for us when it comes to playoff positioning. They can definitely spoil the party. I can see them being that. Uh, I see the Jets struggling again this year, of course. Uh, but I think it comes down to New England and and Buffalo. And um, right now, I think it's a toss up. I think it's very close in terms of what you know other people are saying out there in terms of odds and and kind of what the mm-hmm. that is. But um, if I were to to just take kind of a a, a guess in terms of my opinion of what team comes out of this, I would say that I think Buffalo is going to find a way to finally break that streak of New England and mm-hmm. win the division. I just think that New England's quarterback play, I saw Stidham very briefly when he came in. He came in through a pick six and yep, they put they Brady a right back, back in the out. game. Yep. Uh, I, I, that's not giving me a lot of confidence in him to win a division. He may be able to, to take over the offense and they might be functional, but I, what I saw from Buffalo compared to what I saw briefly from Stidham, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to Buffalo. I also think that what they did in the draft in their off season, I think they only strengthened their team. So I think they're going to get better.
0: I I want to agree with you man I want to agree so bad I as you as you said before we can't write off the Patriots until they're gone I do think both teams do make the playoffs though now that we have that uh, that extra spot that seventh spot and doing all of these I think I've given that seventh spot to about eight or nine teams at this point so um (laughs) might might have to figure all that out when when all things are said and done but I do think you know it's it's very hard to see the Patriots not in the playoffs especially as we said over the last 15 years or whatever it's been 16, 17 years, they've missed it once. And they were still 10 and six that year. And they're obviously not going to miss a seventh spot at, at 10 and six. So we'll see what happens. I think, I do think Buffalo pulls it out. I do think Buffalo Buffalo's a little bit as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if they lose a couple dumb games, but you know, again, I think the momentum that they're carrying, the opportunity that they can see in front of them and not the opportunity to not have Tom Brady there, I think is the biggest addition for all three teams Mm -hmm. just by having him leave so we'll see what happens but jared this was awesome i really appreciate the extensive nature of your your information and the opportunity that you took and you really again sincerely appreciate your time and i didn't realize this would go two hours but didn't feel like two hours i hope you had some fun We got to talk some football and yes jerry fits magic i apologize but uh, i really you know sincerely do appreciate your time all the energy the effort the information that you have it was an absolute blast for me so thank you
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure talking about the AFC East and I, I can't wait to see what happens this year. It's going to be fun.
0: Well, let's see what happens, buddy. Thank you so much.